the frying pan. And into the fire. Run. Run! Welcome to episode two of Out of the Frying Pan, a Middle-earth strategy battle game podcast more regular than a ranger on a diet of Eowyn stew. My name's Stuart and I'm here with my co-host Dan. Hello. <laughs> He's drinking there. Picture the wrong one. And Sam. Oh. Hello. We can hear you, Sam. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> I can hear me. I'm absolutely fine hearing me. We can hear you louder. We've been uh, missing out on your uh, your your wonderful soft tones by uh, having a, a potato as a microphone. I think for the first couple of um, episodes, so we do apologise for um, people that struggle to hear Sam a little bit. But we have fixed that now. New technology is in place, and um, uh, we should all be coming in your ears at a, a reasonable level. Um, so, how are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great well, week night drinking <laughs> yeah uh picking up from where tom left off on that one yeah all good yourself yeah, i'm really good yeah it's uh, been a hectic uh hectic couple of weeks as it always seems to be at the moment but no, nothing to complain about um right then so let's talk a little bit about what we've got coming up on today's show he says flicking to the uh the correct page of notes to do that so as uh, as usual, um, we will um, start with many meetings. Uh, we'll just have our uh, good old ramble and a chat and a catch up between the three of us, where we talk about what we've been up to, um, sort of Lord of the Rings based and Middle Earth gaming based in the last sort of few days or so since we last recorded. Um, and then for our main segment today, our Council of Elrond segment, uh, we were joined by Jeremy from the Green Dragon podcast um, to talk us through some sort of tips and tricks for beginners. Um, it was a really, really good chat that um, we've pre-recorded. Dan and I were able to um, spend some time online um, at the weekend, last weekend, talking to Jeremy. So um, that's a, a good segment. I look, listened. I actually enjoyed editing that and listening through and um, learning myself. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that too. Um, so without further ado, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back for many meetings. Incom Gaming, the new centre for tabletop wargaming in Gloucestershire. Visit incomgaming.co.uk for great savings on pre-orders and all your hobby needs. We stock many gaming systems and hobby accessories and can ship to anywhere in the UK. Market-leading gaming mats from gamemats.eu. Visit the store and check out how to turn your tabletop into a battlefield. Incom Gaming is based in the centre of Cheltenham and offers tables and scenery for casual and organised play with a fully licensed bar. Check out our events page for upcoming events where everyone is welcome. Visit incomgaming.co.uk. Incom Gaming. Come game, shop, drink. And we're back and ready for our many meetings section so this is the time of the show where we talk about ourselves and what we've been up to for the last uh, few weeks and so just let's let's start us off sam what have you been up to uh, um since we last recorded uh, so since we last recorded i've actually been working on my fellowship uh i've been painting the three hunters and boromir and uh, i've got the four hobbits and Gandalf sort of sitting waiting to be painted as well I must so, say I've really really enjoyed painting the single miniatures yes yeah well I've um I've been watching your progress on there I still can't I can't we talked about it a little bit earlier and I can't remember seeing your biome but I must have um 
but I, I can definitely understand what it's like to paint single miniatures over big batches and things, especially after you just completed God knows how many Hobbits. It must be a real nice break for you. It's I, I never realised how nice it was to paint single miniatures because <laughs> all, all, th- all three of us have come from the heresy world where you're painting lots and lots of legionnaire, legionnaire, legionnaires, legionaries, uh, and there's a lot of them, and they're all pretty much the same colour. Um, and obviously I had the same issue with the Hobbits, so some things that tie in like the cloaks but they've also got the uh, individual colors one, one of my favorite things is that with the uh, different colors that you get across the board because you've got the cloaks where it ties all of them together as as if you were doing the bases on them uh, it's been a real breath of fresh air to sort of sit down and go right i'm going to do one model at a time i'm going to work on this i knows this from previous chats but i hate doing flesh it's something that you had to do all the highlights with and Dan showing me some has really helped when it's come to these guys. I really like the uh, the colour you've used on the cloaks. What 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 paints have you been using for that, Sam? Uh, so the base of it is the Scale 75 green, well, I believe it's called Field Grey, but it, it's like a greeny-grey, sort of that World War II uh, sort of army green colour. Uh, and then I sort of highlighted up using the Vallejo Air light grey. Yep. which I had quite a lot of fun doing uh, just because it's quite a dull colour on some really bright models or that's that's what I've tried to do with them. Yeah, and that's perfect. It's exactly what it's supposed to be, isn't it? If you think about what what they, what they those elven cloaks do in terms of in the game but also in, in the lore, that they're supposed to help you blend into any kind of background, really. I'm holding that field grey you're talking about now. I'm a big scale 75 user myself and... Um, it's quite a desaturated, like you said, military style, almost, I'd say, British Second World War fatigue kind of uniform rather than, say, a US or something, maybe. I don't know, maybe not. Um, but it's, yeah, really good base colour for that. Uh, but they look awesome. You've managed to get um, a tone that's got a, that's that's dull enough and desaturated enough, but you've got some kind of, I don't know, it, it's it says elvish i don't know how to explain i was a terrible use of words there but it's got that it just says that it could be made but it doesn't look like military fatigues you managed to add that highlight you've used has added a certain kind of um, elegance to it even though it's still quite a, a plain color it's plain but not of this world i like to think <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to describe it as <laughs> spot on absolutely um so what who who have you got who are you doing next who's next to the fellowship you got lined up I think next I'm going to probably do Mary Odo and then finish off with Pippin just because of how much I've, I've enjoyed that sort of the blue jacket that he's got because it, it led me to use my favourite of the Scale 75 colours which is the blue set. I, it's, I love the blue to work with hence why I used it with all my Alpha Legion stuff when we play Harris. Yeah, so what's your favourite blue in the set? I have to turn around again in a second, but I'm going to describe them to Stu and hope that Stu's got his blue in <laughs> mine, front of him. Mine are right next to me. My favourite's the Mediterranean blue. Dark blue, isn't it? It's, I like the electric-y looking blue. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Caribbean blue, isn't it? A little bit like Enchanted blue, the old uh, Citadel colour. Yeah, Car- Caribbean blue. That's what you could use it on if you were... Uh painted such things but you can use them on plasma coils you might work on uh, or in like steampunky kind of lights and things you see them used as well so uh, obviously not very useful for for Lord of the Rings stuff but yeah cool colours very much so very I like it as a a good punchy highlight colour whenever I use blue I always add like a little trickle of that to any blue that I'm doing yeah absolutely so you've got some um you've been working on some terrain as well yeah, uh, I've got loads of the Osgiliath sets, uh, and I've just been using Wilkinson's tester pots, basically 
use the tester pots because they a bit more durability to any terrain that I do. They don't seem to chip as easily. Mm-hmm. So it means that my terrain lasts a little bit longer. It, it may not have the the finesse of uh, some of the <laughs> usual painting methods, but I use it on a lot of my terrain because it, it just seems to hold up a little bit better to being shifted around, put in boxes and then stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's good value, isn't it? It's pound ten for a little tester pot and that will last you or a terrain painter by trade. And you've got to dry brush a lot of dunes or uh, rock faces. And What about uh, you, Dan? What have you been up to? Uh, well, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I did actually break after the last episode's talk of uh, I haven't got any cards, I don't need them. And uh, our lovely friend, uh, Mr. Jamie Harcourt-Billingham, the uh, spring to Sam's autumn, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had a spare pair of the... Uh, Hobbit uh, dwarf profile card packs. So I thought, you know, I'll uh, happily pay two pound per card for the Iron Hills. Why not? And uh, yes, I picked them up. But I'll, I'll get more use out of them than the Iron Hills. I think um, Thorin's company always appealed, so I'll, I'll probably end up doing that at some point. And they are very cool. Now I've actually held some in my hand. I can understand uh, some of the things you guys were saying and other people have been saying about them. Um, the sheer amount of data that appears to be on the uh, Iron Hills chariot one's pretty hilarious. It's kind of hoping they'd have the uh, little stencil for movement on the back of it, but you know, next time maybe GW. So yeah, yeah they're pretty cool. Um, I've not actually got to use those yet, although um, uh, I am actually going to be playing some games tomorrow night, uh, being the uh, what twenty ninth tomorrow uh, down at the Legion of Peterborough. So we've got a Lord of the Rings table set up. So there's a few of us uh, going down to play. Uh, hopefully. Uh, uh, Ben Taylor and uh, Wanless and Will and stuff will be coming down. A few of the other guys um, get a bit of round robin going and uh, play some games together. Hopefully, get a few different armies because I think Will and I are probably getting a little bit tired of smashing each other to death at Defense <laughs> Eight. So, you know, being able to squish some, uh, you know, nice soft unarmored goblins might be quite nice. Uh, aside from that, it's um, I've been painting some more of my uh, Lothlorien for March. Um, I don't unfortunately have the uh, the benefit of painting the uh, a small number of simple miniatures, and I have to admit I'm finding batch painting these models a little bit difficult for some reason. I don't know. Maybe I'm not clicking with it yet. They are quite different to everything I've painted recently. So um, yeah, they're very clean, and it's um I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's um I think it's that awkward mid stage where before it clicks and then the model starts to come together. So I've, I've put them all of the base colors down. I've given them more oil washes and cleaned them up a bit and it's all ready for moving on. And uh, hopefully I'll get those painted up. I've had a few bits to paint for other uh, gaming commitments, let's put it that way, in the next uh, couple of weeks. So they did sit for a little bit, but uh, back on that now. So hopefully they'll. Uh, I really want to get these guys sort of fully finished by the end of the Christmas period. Yeah. So that way I can. Uh, you know, actually start using them and get some uh, games under my belt so I don't turn up like some kind of noob in uh, March and uh, let Sam down with all these shiny characters. It's sometimes the problem oh, well, is I'm the team's disability, correct? <laughs> You're completely aware of this. <laughs> it's fair enough. That's the legendary. <laughs> my handicap, are you? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that means the worst right. part of golf. <laughs> other than the trousers yeah <laughs> um sometimes when you um i, I don't know if you're, this is the problem you've had is that when you when you have to stop painting a certain project to do something else 
you lose that kind of momentum almost in the in the project so maybe that's why would you had to do some things for uh, another game system for an event you've got coming up maybe that's what it was maybe the kind of the stop start on the l's rather than kind of play through that did it i know I yeah like that with my my hunter orcs and my, my, my azog stuff i was doing i've kind of because i've had to stop to do other stuff i kind of i want to get them done but i've not really got a lot of passion to get them done right now so maybe that's what it was yeah, it's potentially that. Um, it doesn't help that Thranduil, my uh, made-to-orders, turned up, and I, the cast on that's so good. Really <laughs> impressed. So um, I really want to paint him, but I need to leave him alone because he's, you know, even after hopefully getting the chariot over Christmas, and then obviously I need to finish my Florian for March, they come before I can even really touch uh, my Thranduil's Hall stuff. Even I have painted a cheeky Legolas from the Defenders of Lake Town set for that, but... That was because I would run out of other things to paint, so that doesn't count. <laughs> uh, it's how we justify these things to ourselves. But yeah, it's um, not done the hugest amount, I'll, I'll admit, since we've last recorded, other than recording bits with Jeremy, which was amazing. And then, uh, you know, picking up the cars and tinkering away with the elves, because unfortunately I've just had a few other bits to do, but I'm hoping to get back on it this month. Uh-huh. Well, it's still no small amount of stuff, is it, really? It's not been... So how long has it been hmm. since we actually last recorded? It's less than two weeks, isn't it? And in between that, we've done a, the interview with Jeremy. So you've still, what you've you've assembled and paint half painted all of those elves. So it's not really you've, you've done you've done some hobby. It's not like some people oh, go for yeah. ages without doing anything. Oh, oh caveat: it's uh, six elves at the moment, not the full twenty-one. Oh, okay. but, but we're getting there. Sorry, I, I was thinking about the way I paint when I have to assemble everything and do it in ridiculously large size batches but that's a that's a problem of mine <laughs> rather than you know, most people most sane people well normally i admit i follow your your method i paint my armies for other systems very much that way but i kind of didn't want to do that this time i didn't want to overwhelm myself mm. particularly if i didn't want to rush the um characters so i thought i'd do um Caliborn and uh Haldir and the four galadrim court first because they're they're slightly different to the others and require a little bit more extra effort and then just smash out the remaining 15 guys afterwards yeah that makes sense it it totally makes sense i never do it like that i've got in the habit of painting for work doing large batches so this week i have been building and painting um 85 space marines ouch it's been it's it's, yeah if it wasn't for audiobooks and um podcasts i would have gone mad and watching youtube and stuff so but that's the painful side of it but Mm. i I don't like repeating stages so i'd hate to say do all of one color on a model and then do the next then do the next then the next finish it and then go start the same things again so i'd much rather what seems like a slow progress to start with do all of one color on the whole lot um, that is not the way I'd advise people to do things because most people won't finish projects like that. I do it like that because it's the most time-efficient way for work, but then I also do all my own projects that way now. So when I normally, when I start a project, I will purchase everything I'm going to buy for it or most to it before I start it. I very rarely kind of do the kind of add units bit by bit. Obviously, naturally, I'll add stuff if new stuff comes out, um, but I tend to do it all in one go. Um, so. Well, it's, it's work methods, isn't it? I mean, the mm. problem I think I find with that particular work method for me is if I've only got a short amount of time of an evening, I wouldn't want to do half a stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would do my head in quicker. I think if I sort of half did a stage, I find that even when I'm just blacking out, if I haven't got quite enough time to do it all, sometimes picking the second half back up can be quite difficult. Yeah, I'm the same. So I end up just just 
ploughing through stuff at an incredible rate. That's the only way around it. But I'm exactly the same. A little bit of weird OCD with that as well. I don't like leaving stuff I for a first stage. So I've got oh. weird OCD with everything, so it just adds to the pile, to be honest with you. So <laughs> Uh, on that note, actually, um, Green Stuff World uh, are doing their Black Friday thing, so I have ordered the basing materials for my uh, elves, at least. So that's that's another thing I've done towards my hobby. Oh, nice. What are you doing for the bases? Um, I've got a lot of the leaf litter, and um, I've picked up some of the little bits of tree trunks and bark that they do. Um, and I'll combine that with sand and, and other bits and pieces, and just do it sort of like a, a forest floor kind of thing. And I picked up their sort of the natural leaf litter style they do, so it'll look sort of slightly autumnal without too much orange. Oh, lovely. Because I think that will come from the models. I don't want it to clash too much. The um, I don't want it to meld into one block of colour base and model. So Yeah, you've got to be careful as well. Have you got red on your robes, haven't you? You've got red? Yeah, yeah. so I wanted to, to keep it slightly with the red and orange. It will look a bit... Garish. Yeah. <laughs> Tangoed. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm looking forward to doing some different different basing because all the stuff i finished for um sbg so far i've all had slightly... They're not full snow bases, but they've got kind of melting snow bases even the different yeah. factions because I wanted them to kind of match the era because it's all been Hobbit stuff. So I thought, well, I might as well make the bases the same because they might ally one day. And then when I started doing the um, the Azog stuff, I thought, well, they're from the same era fighting. Let's make the bases the same. <laughs> so yeah. I've not I've done one basing style on through nearly all the armies I've done so far for it. So I'm looking forward to starting Rohan and having a having a new a new sort of basing scheme for them. Yeah, the planes look for those could look really cool. Um, I've seen some people have done it over the sort of communities and that, and it looks stunning. Yeah, I'm a bit of a mix of the tufts and the different lengths of static grass to make it look like sort of like tundra. Yes, yeah. Kind of, yeah, it, oh. it looks great. I want to do something that will work. So if I'm using them in Rohan, but then also for the Pelinor, but then also if they ally with Minas Tirith, so I'll probably use the same kind of tufts across them all and when I do my Minas Tirith army at some point later next year I'll still use those same tufts and maybe a similar kind of soil but then I'll edge in some like broken white stones and things which could be Oscillith or Minas Tirith so they kind of they're different but they're but the uniform, but they've got something that just kind of you know sort of draws them in together so it almost blends between the two so I want well, you to could do the ranges that way the Athelian sort of rocky bases with like yes. crops and then little bits of tufts so it ties it all together that would yeah. look really cool and less and less of the the, the as I say the tufts and things on the more and more that will be based only in Minas Tirith so to speak so you just kind of mm. they can all work together but they don't look like a different basing scheme so I'll, I'll have to plan quite far ahead so it probably means I'm going to have sort of three total basing schemes for most of my armies but um, it's good it's good fun to do it that way at least they look all good and when you're on the table together I, I've done all my uh, obviously other game system but obviously all my heresy stuff uh, it's all based on terror so it's all marble basing even the different factions so it, it all ties together it looks quite cool yeah it certainly does definitely does so it's sort of ally contingent especially with the the way that that age of Lord of the Rings particularly with the sort of the you know when they finally sally forth to the Black Gates, and it's the, sort of the last stand of the Men of the West, all that kind of stuff. So it, being able to tie all that together and having a unified force theme, if you wanted to do it, would look really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see a lot of kind of standardised, normal kind of grassland style basing for for Lord of the Rings. It actually works better for for Lord of the Rings than it does for for other systems. It often looks a bit plain when you see it for AOS or something like that, but because of the nature of so many of the scenes, especially in the films. Um, it tends to work quite well, so you can have that more generic style kind of grassland. Um, I just want to add a little bit of extra pizzazz to it, so some more expensive tufts, those kind of things. That's had a little bit of interest on the bases, but we'll see how it yeah. goes when I finally get, on get around to doing it. Get the stuff word sale. Get uh, on there. 
Oh, no, I'm not going to go spend any more money. Not before Christmas. Well, I might want to do so before Brexit. I'll tell you that much. The postage is going to get horrendous. <laughs> oh, don't tell me. Yeah, I don't, don't want to go down that route. My favourite so my favorite paint range is from Spain, so we'll see how that all pans out. Um, anyway, moving on before that becomes divisive. Um, so what else have you say you got some games planned and stuff? What have you... Yeah, got, got games planned tomorrow. Um, so I'm hoping, yeah, it depends how much you know, how much we round robin it and what size games mm. people decide to play. But I'm hoping to at least get two games in tomorrow evening. That'd be good. Um, and apart from that, I'm just sort of indulging my general Lord of the Rings uh, passion. We'll go with passion rather than problem or addiction. So I've been playing um, uh, Shadow of War. Uh, I picked that up for my, my PlayStation finally. I've been knocking that about, which is which is actually quite cool because there's a there's a sort of a, an add-on they added and it's uh, a ranger, who, but he's in Mordor. Yeah, and you know the sort of the big slag heaps and stuff that are outside the sort of the, the ring of mountains where they talk about being a poisonous fume and all that kind of stuff. Where you know in the books, uh, Sam and Frodo pass between these great piles of rocks and, and debris and bits of volcanic ash, and that actually has given me some really interesting ideas for future products projects. So playing the games actually making little things fire off in my head for oh, could do that later, do that later. That's that's always good. I'm. I oh I wish I had time to play those games. Just not going to. Oh, I don't know. I should be painting elves. <laughs> <laughs> I get my painting time, or that's it. I'd, so I'd be giving up painting time to do that right now. When the kids are a, a little bit older in a few years, and they um, are more self sufficient in the evenings, when you can say things like "go to bed" and they take themselves to bed, things will be a little bit easier. But it's um, it's a. As a lot of parents will know, you've got kids under the age of five and you've got a couple of them. It can be a good two-hour process trying to get two kids into bed. So it uh, tends to wreck your evenings a little bit. Um, cool. Um, cool. Is there anything else we've missed off there that you've, uh, you've been up to? Or? I don't know. To be honest, I've managed to string out not doing very much into quite lengthy conversations. So <laughs> it's been good. What have you been up to? Uh, mainly panicked prep for, um, for Throne of Skulls. So, um, knowing I've had a ticket for months, I've not done any of the things I should have been doing. So I decided I wanted to do a display ball because that's what seems to be what most people do. And I've never made one before. Not, not proper size. I've made those tiny ones that I, I don't know if I talked about on the show, but I made some small sort of tray size ones, like kind of posh trays more than anything else, um, for the couple of events I've done recently, but I've never made a big one for any game system before. So I've always wanted to. And I kind of had an idea in my head, but I'm not really doing anything about it. I kind of went on that side project of doing the Azogs Legion and Hunters army because I wanted a tip in my box for having a, an evil army under uh, of 600 points or more for my uh, for the bingo for the Middle Earth bingo thing. And I kind of realised I was running out of time to do it. So I'm using some of my army of the plan is to use army of Thrall, but they're also allied with with Iron Hills. And I didn't have all the Iron Hills that I needed um, painted, more not even built, let alone painted. So the plan is um, um, to um, what's the um, the battle? I always stumble over the name for this, as we know when you get those things where you just can't say a word, even though it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really really weird. Um, so the battle of um, Azan Ulbazar, I can't say it, and it's one of those. <laughs> I've become turned into complete and utter fool. I just I call it Dimbledale Dale because that's the the Westeros way of saying it, isn't it? So Battle of yes. Dimbledale Dale, yes, that's what I'm going to call it. Um, so the book version of that, rather than the film version, is slightly different. So the film version, you see Thrall's beheaded, and and then Thrain. 
goes to avenge him and you don't know what happens to him but you find that later on he's kind of lost in the wild wandering and then Thorin goes and cuts his arm off and picks up the oaken shield and etc etc doesn't happen like that in the in the in the in the book narrative um Thor is killed beforehand by Azog um and um and it's not um Thorin that that um doesn't cut off um Azog's arm it's actually Dane no, Dane, Dane Dane kills him after seeing his I think it's his father Nain isn't it we've seen it after seeing him um killed so yes. so Dane with his red axe but he's just got a hammer on the forge model in the game isn't he as well so there's there's a few inconsistencies so I'm doing this kind of weird mix between film and um and and book stuff so my I didn't want to take Thraw and I didn't want to take Thrain um so I've got young Thorin Balin and Dwalin um and um Dane so Dane will obviously become the 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 army um leader so I'm guessing it will be an Iron Hills with with um allied in Thraw um and then this is where it's non-book I've I've got the goat riders, so I really 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 so, so I've got three goat riders, and we don't really know what they were fighting on them, but I'm pretty sure there were no goats. But I just wanted the models, and I've got a ballista in there because I really wanted a big centerpiece model. Um, so this is where I go from. Hey, that's a really cool thing too. Oh, that's a bit cheesy. What are you putting those things in for? My, uh, I'm thinking because it's a thousand points. Um, you know, if I can't get a ballista in a thousand point army, when am I going to get it in? Um, mm. I've never used it before. Um, so, yeah, it's not particularly... The, the the reason for taking it isn't for the rules. Genuinely isn't for the rules. Um, I'm not a great player. That should never be an excuse for taking things that are uh, quite highly powered. But uh, And I won't use it as that. But um, I, I really wanted something on the display board that was bigger than a, a, a 25mm round base, really. So I just wanted a couple of models that stood out a little bit. As a, as a painter... I'm not saying I'm going to go and win anything because I've seen what other people are doing in the GBHL group and there's no no chance of me um, competing at the top there. But I wanted to do something I would be happy with. So I really wanted the composition-wise to have a, a couple of bigger things there. So Dane on his on his boar and a couple of the um, the goat riders and having the having the, um, the, the ballista there. So I'm adding those in. I think there's six iron hills, just six with spear. Um, You're going to base the ballista? I am. I am going to put it on a base. Yes, I've got it on an oval. Um, I might have it removable. Um, I don't know what people are going to think about that. So, so you're listening to this, people comment. Let me know what you think. I know it can be quite divisive about basing things because the rules are they have to be used on the base sizes that they come with. Um, obviously, it doesn't come with a base. Some people. Well, I guess, the crew, might... though, they're attached to it. Yeah, that's bizarre as well, and you, they need to be removable, don't they? For the because you. Yeah. So. My my I thought process more... would be that they it's on the base and ignore the base for playing the game. So you just move your models onto the base as if it was part of the table. But I might yeah. make it. I'm tempted to make it removable just in case someone is really really funny about it. Um, Good luck pinning them wheels. <laughs> I might, might do little magnets or something. Um, I might just leave it loose as well. That's the other thing. I'll just leave it sitting on the base because yeah, it's cut groove. It's not going to be moving around much, is it? Um, so I'm not I'm not 100 sure, but it will be on a base. Um, I'm tempted to glue it, but I don't want it. and just say, look, the base isn't there. It's there purely for show. Move your models onto it. Treat it as if the the base isn't there. Um, but um, we'll see what people people really mm. need to kick off about it. If the general advice from the more experienced people in the community is no, it shouldn't be on a base, then I will probably have it removable from the base. And if anyone objects during the game or before a game, I'll just play it without the base. Um, but yeah, the rest of the it's rest of the bodies. The, are... um, I was just going to say it can't be as bad as the um, Urukai uh, Ballista one with the wheels as well. 
the I don't know if you've ever built one of those, but the no. wheels are terrible. Oh, really? Tiny, spindly little things. Oh, they're just. Ugh. It's um, not much better though. I'll be honest with you. There's not a lot of room for. I would be interested to see how you magnetize that. Yeah, they are quite thin. The rims. They are. They are. They'd have to be very, very small magnets. Um, I, I'm tempted just to leave it not glued to the base, as I say, so I can place it on there. I've got a mark, like you said, put some grooves in maybe, so I know where it's going to go. Um, and just leave mm. it loose because um, it's there for well, show, really, and um, it just means I can kind of. Uh, the, I've, I've already positioned it in a way that the models on their bases can fit on the base, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I might just well, do that. Internet, let us know. Let us know what you think, because I'll be interested to know if I need to rip mine off my base or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could have. I mean, I could ask the question in the in the in the GBHL. I'm just not the kind of person to do that because you. I know that I will get both answers, and yeah, I, it's not that I mind that. But I just, yeah, I just I know what I'm going to hear. You know, you're going to get. Well, some people are going to go. Well, you really, really shouldn't because, of, and it just becomes becomes from your your perspective on on the way the game's played. Um, so I thought if I can if I leave it loose, then if someone's like I really don't like using on the base I feel like I won't be able to position my models where I want it properly then I'll say no problem at all I'll just pop it off the base for you and some people are like yeah whatever we'll just work around it maybe take it off the base at the moment if I want to start engaging or something fine so I'm, I, I won't lose any sleep over it because I'm not, not that I'm never going to be a top table kind of player where all those things are really really important to me but I also don't want to offend people or spoil the game for people who think oh it shouldn't be on one um, but anyway that's quite a lot of talk about a base on a on a, on a war machine so as it stands um, I haven't painted any of those extra on hills um, so I've got some work to do so it is the 28th as we're talking so I've got just over a week to paint um, Dane foot and mounted um, three goat riders six spears and the ballista and I should be able to do it on a normal time but it's, um, it's I'm very busy with work at the moment I'm moving into Christmas there's a lot of stuff going on so I'm a little bit concerned um, I suppose I've got to fall back on I can need to look at how many points I can get out of a pure thrower army I think I can do it if I can't get that stuff painted, but that means taking Thraw and Thrain, um, which doesn't really quite match the theme because well, I'll talk about the display board now that I've finished. Um, it's actually got the East Gate of Moria built into it with an image from the film of um, Azog being dragged away with his arm, arm cut off. So as soon as I place Thraw on there and Thrain on there, they shouldn't be there at that stage because even by <laughs> film or book, they're dead. Um, so Instant Red Alliance. Yeah, so it's a bit it's a bit weird. If I black that out, if I didn't have the uh, the kind of the image of him being kind of led away, I don't know if people remember the film when he's kind of he's, he's been helped into helped into the gate. I think it's the East Gate. And I know where the battle's outside the East Gate, but he's been helped into the sort of in, into the mountain as he's injured. Um, so that's the problem I got there. So I could do a last minute. If I really was going to not be able to get him painted, I suppose I could black that door out to remove that, that image. Um, I mean, the original plan a few months ago was to buy the model and buy, and buy some Gundabad and actually have casualties and things and on, stuck to the display base. But yeah, time really got away from me. But um anyway i finished my display base i finished it last night i'll put some pictures up in the group but it's um it's quite big but not not massive it fits on a on a billy bookcase shelf it takes up the whole thing it's got a backdrop to it sort of like sky and stuff painted in lots of rock and then it leads up to as i said the east gate um and i've got some um remote controlled flickering tea lights built into it so there's a, there's a couple of fires and the light flickers behind the image in in the in the east gate and um, it's not quite 
as good as I wanted it to be, but time has curtailed that a little bit. I've cut some corners. I made some mistakes that means I've, they're a bit rough in areas. Whereas if I'd sort of spent a little bit more time doing it, it could have I could have made a higher standard of finish, so to speak. Um, I did about I think I spent about nine hours on it in total, but it's done. <laughs> it's done. It just needs um, just needs the rest of the army painted. I'm just saying, thinking it looks amazing. So if that's not that good, then uh, yeah, I might as well not bother throwing a brush in the bin. <laughs> You've seen it in a picture and a little video, um, and yeah, I'm happy with it. Don't get me wrong. And this isn't you know, I'm slightly perfectionist, and obviously I'm a painter and a model maker in many ways by profession. Um, but there are parts like when I was um, putting the, the the filler on. I've got some on the back bit, which is the the, the area where I've painted the backdrop. And you can see it, and I've tried to sand it down, but it's not as smooth as it wanted to be. That should have been perfectly smooth. So there's these little little things like that. I've used expanding foam, and I've cut it down, and I've sort of roughed it up. There are areas that don't look quite as rock-like as I wanted to. So I wanted it to look sort of very realistic, and some parts of it are, and other parts just look a bit terrainy, and I didn't want it to look terrainy. And But this is me being me basically been super super happy. um but yeah and what else i'm doing um I'm, I'm i'm aware that i'm rambling on a lot here um well so i've been doing a little bit of prep for flotsam jetsam which is the event you guys have been talking about and building your armies for so i've been doing a little bit of work for that behind the scenes i want to get a the pack's not out till january but i want to get a kind of a a one pager thing just on army restrictions out in december just so that people can start working on their armies ahead of the time before the packs and a lot of people have asked questions about can we have allies uh, what what kind of allies how will allies work etc can you have the same ally, army ally and etc etc so i've been going through a process of, of chatting to a few people and thinking about how i want to do it so that's pretty much there now i um chatted to um briefly to tom from fail charge games it's the youtube channel fail charge games he ran an event a few months back called little wars and he did a presentation on one of these um one of his uh, shows on his channel about how he did it and some fun extras and he did something called momentous moments and they're really fun i thought i really like these little things they're like little extra side quests you can get so you can win spot prizes for um being the first model to die falling off something that kind of thing so little fun things you can do that have no effect on the overall um event but ways that anyone can win spot prizes and fun so i really wanted to use them so i messaged him and said can i pinch them and he said yes. So um, I don't know whether I'll use them all, whether I'll add to them, um, but I'm gonna—they're going to be in the pack as well. So thank you, Tom, for letting me do that. Um, and yeah, but that is it. That's uh, sounds like loads actually. So I built 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 my terrain, um, built my display board, and um, and did a bit of event prep. But yes, that is me. So. It's all good. I think we're all quite excited for uh, Flotsam and Jetsam. I know that some of the boys here are doing some bits and pieces. Ben's produced the uh, most impressive, let's put it that way, Mumuk I have ever seen. <laughs> Anyone who follows uh, Uplander or Pete Whitlam on uh, Instagram uh, may <laughs> have had a flavour of what that may be. Yes. yes. Never seen the like. No. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how that will go down within the community, actually. It's quite interesting. I saw, obviously, you shared yep. that in our, our group. Um, and um, it was shared in the local chat. I didn't comment on it, but it was shared in the local chat, this image as well. And I think it was met with the exasperation and, and, and shrugging more than anything else, the, the, <laughs> the why thing. Um, but um, I, I seem to remember, 
I don't know if the, I think the guy's name's Jack, who was on the battle report that we talked about last in the last show with um, Harry on um, broadsword gaming. What's the yes. channel called? Yes, I'm yeah. sure he did a high room, like a mini high room in the top of one of his mummocks. So he had a, like a couple of naked uh, slaves or something like that. And I think that that maybe didn't go down well in all areas. Some people thought it was not very not very Tolkien or Lord of the Rings, and some people thought it was amusing. This will probably fall into the <laughs> same category, but maybe with... It's less subtle. Um, <laughs> less subtle. Um, it's certainly not. Yeah, well, you know, it, let's just say it's a five-legged... Um, a five-legged um, <laughs> and leave it from there um just like to add this is none of us three okay I, it doesn't offend, <laughs> it doesn't offend me at all i thought it was quite amusing but i know some people probably um probably prefer is wearing some white fronts or something um, <laughs> oh dear it's, it's brilliant it is oh you gotta laugh Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right then, so we're in danger of becoming too rambly. Um, I'm uh, obviously we won't record again before Throne of Skulls. So if anyone does recognise my voice or know who I am or recognise the army after I've shared it, because I will share it before we go, um, do come up and say hello if you've listened to the show. It'd be nice to meet you. I'm not going to be wearing any t-shirts for the podcast or anything yet. We're far too new for me to walk around in full merch. Look like a complete and utter. Yeah, um, but um, yeah. Oh, if you do... I wanted an Argos shirt like the uh, <laughs> the boys we know. <laughs> but if yeah, if anyone does listen to the show, um, and I appreciate we're quite new, but if anyone does listen to the show and recognise my voice or my army or something, and know who I am, do come and say hello, and you'll be there as well, don't won't you, Dan? Not playing yes. the events, you're going to be in Warhammer World that day playing something else, making a lot of noise, I'd imagine. Um, but if I if I do wander by and uh, admire your armies, uh, then please be kind. Uh, I mean everything with uh, all the best of intentions. I'm just uh, I'm very interested. I, I love I love looking at other people's armies and getting their impressions. I uh, I, I promise I won't annoy anyone too much, but it would be uh, quite nice to chat to a few people because it was for that reason last time when I was at Warhammer World looking at the Last Throne that pretty much you know was what made me pull the trigger on joining the community. So it's the community that makes it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you're still planning on hanging around in the evening for a bit. Yes, that is the plan. Um, still not sure if I'm going to to stay, stay, um, yeah. but I'll uh, I'll definitely be there in in the evening to have a, a few libations in uh, in Bugman's and uh, <laughs> enjoy myself. Yeah. So yeah, I'm obviously I'm staying because I'm planning on doing day two as well as day one. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to hang around in the evening. So we will both be there in the evening as well. So um, hopefully we'll get to to meet some of you and have a have a bit of a chat. Right then. So, if any, unless anyone's got anything else, um, we can uh, go to a break, and we'll come back with our wonderful, wonderful chat with uh, with Jeremy, which is far more insightful and useful than the rambling you've just heard from us three for the last sort of half an hour or so. Lord Marshal, great sir. Legion reinforcements now visible on the left flank. Ah, about time. The wolves, I see. Uh, no, sir. Ultramarines, sir. But they're wearing grey, Proclamator Fennec. Fox message said new recruits, sir. No time to paint armour. At least the Raven Guard are in black armour. Sorry, sir. That's more Ultramarines. For Empress sake, fox them and find out why. Also new armour, sir. Their eye lenses are red and the bolt guns are silver. Three colours minimum, sir. What the? 
Get on the box now and tell them to contact Miniature Realm Studio. Miniature Realm Studio, sir? Yes, Fennec. Miniature Realm Studio offers a commission painting service, competitive rates, and a range of painting standards to suit most budgets and requirements. Yes, sir. I suppose they do say that fully painted is for closers. What does that even mean, Fennec? Uh, I don't know, sir. Miniature Realm Studio can be found on Facebook, on Twitter at Miniature Realms, on Instagram at Miniature Realm Studio, or just drop Stuart an email at miniaturelstudio at gmail.com. And we're back after the break. Welcome to the Council of Elrond. This episode, we're going to be discussing hints, tips and tricks for beginners, or those relatively new, and maybe cover a few common mistakes early on. Dan and I are here. Sadly, Sam is unable to make the segment, but we were very privileged to have a special guest to add some reliable info to this chat. So I'd like to welcome Jeremy from the Green Dragon Podcast. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. Glad to be here, and I hopefully I'll be able to replace Sam in, in a very respectable way. Your mic's going to be louder. That's for <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's going to be a given. Um, or maybe not actually. So the beginning of the podcast, hopefully, Sam will have sounded a little bit louder than he did in the previous two after some uh, technical changes. Um, okay, so most people are going to know who you are, Jeremy. Most people are going to know who you are far before they know us. Um, you have been a, a stalwart <laughs> of the uh, SBG community for many 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 years now and um, been running the green dragon podcast which is the daddy and was the only um green um only spg podcast for quite some years until um a couple of upstarts jumped on the on the scene recently so do you want to just spend a couple of minutes sort of telling people who maybe haven't come across you before or your podcast um who you are what you're about Sure. I'm a gamer from Australia, Melbourne, Australia. I've been playing since the game was released. So I picked up the early editions when they were released. Uh, I was a bit younger then, so I only got a few of the things and played through some of the scenarios, some of the games, and didn't really get into the the gaming and the painting seriously till about the Return of the King version of the game. So that was, what was that, 03 or so? Uh, And then got really into it. So I I was at a point where I was playing it at the club pretty much every week for, for many, many years. And uh, my favorite part is the the narrative scenarios. So they were just called scenarios in the past, but now they're called, uh, I think there's narrative games or narrative scenarios, and basically recreating scenes from the books and the movies. So we started off doing a lot of small ones then build it up. I was very lucky that we had some very prolific terrain makers at our club. So we had a, a gentleman who made a Minas Tirith, so he played through all that sort of stuff. And um, eventually I started to take over that a little bit as I uh, grew with more confidence and started to make more of the boards and get better at my painting and we've got a core group now that's been going on for a long, long time. And I was a bit disappointed for many years. I couldn't find a Lord of the Rings podcast. And, and there was lots for other games. And people were saying that no one played the game and no one did it. So we decided to start our own. We started one very early on, actually, in about 2010. But it just did not take off until probably about five years ago. So we're going pretty strong then. We have a couple episodes a month. Uh, you can find us at all the, the normal places, Green Dragon Podcast. And we have a variety of guests and like this one, a bit of a magazine format. So we talk about whatever we like. We tend to lean towards gaming, but that's just because it seems to be what people request quite a bit. And it's a game. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we're um, we're probably hiding our lack of um, knowledge by um, doing stuff away from just the gaming side. Maybe that will change when we've been doing it for a while. But um, i definitely been listening to you for a while, not right from the start, but uh, um, from when I've 
the, the last time before this I became interested in the game and I thought well, let's start looking for podcasts and I found you and I've been listening for, for ages and for a long 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 time I hadn't got a clue about 80% of what you guys were on about on the show especially the rules stuff before playing and it's starting to become more, becoming more and more and more useful and understanding now um, there's, there's still some bits I think yeah that's beyond my uh, and that's beyond my tactical ability <laughs> I'm going to let you know on a secret for that one because we don't understand half the stuff we're talking about as well. <laughs> uh, a lot of our tactics have developed since we've started talking about them. So Kylie especially likes to invent words and invent things and, and come up with, with something, just call something something and we don't know. So we discuss afterwards what she thinks it is. So we sort of go along with it. Yeah, yeah, I see that all the time. And then afterwards define it and later on explain it to people. So most of the time we've got no clue either. It's good. And you've, you've, <laughs> you've brought out a, a directory, haven't you, of, of some of these phrases and things. Is that right? Yes, and that's mostly for us as well, so we can be consistent. <laughs> it's good fun. I do like it, and I like the the references to it in the in the cast. It works really well, um, and it does make you. Well, the first time that I, when when you first started talking about it, and I read flick through the director, and I thought, ah, oh, I, I get it now. I get what you just said there. I, I get that some of this there's some serious tongue in cheek in this, but uh, it's not just me being really really stupid. But um, I like it, and I and I think. I mean, she, you, you guys, you're really, you're experienced players and you're successful players. I mean, Kylie's done very, very well recently. Last two Articons over here, hasn't she? Really, really well. Um, so yeah, the definitely. level of play is kind of, and if you, it's always an interesting thing to talk about when we talk about a war game and you talk about the top players and you get, you talk about other game systems and the, maybe the pinnacles playing at the ETC. I remember years ago listening to um, Fantasy Battle um, podcasts and talking about the ETC and that kind of, this is a kind of as, as competitive as it can get. And I followed War Machine and their big events. It's about as close to kind of the, the PC online gaming kind of competitive gaming thing as you can get when you get people at that level. But it's still war gaming. It's still a game of chance with dice at the end of the day. But you guys your level of understanding of the game is right at that level and your discussions can be at that level as well. So we are very privileged to have you on here talking about the derpy <laughs> basic things that, that that maybe I'm doing or, or, or some of um, some regular non, non sort of top 50 tournament players are doing the kind of the people that go to one or two events a year and, and, and make all the, all the basic mistakes. Right then. So that's me rambling on far too much. Let's, let's start talking about some of the, some of the kind of the common mistakes and, and, and things and maybe we'll bl- blend those into some some tricks and some tips and things that we can do in those sort of situations and we've got a bit of a list of things to sort of go through um but we'll probably kind of expand into sort of general rambling at times so um please forgive us listener and i say mm-hmm. listener that's one of your things isn't it listener um so let, let's start with movement and positioning because for me obviously that can start right from deployment as well um, it's the key for sort of setting yourself up before you do the rest of the game. So, what are the what are the sort of the common mistakes and and things that you see for sort of movement and positioning, and what sort of, and what sort of, what would be your tips for um, improving that? So, if, starting with deployment, which is a, a nice place to start. I always look at the maximum movement in my opponent's army, and I think that's worth doing to see if, they're, if they've only got infantry so they can go six inches, or they've got infantry with a bunch of marches around, or they've got cavalry at 10 inches or, or eagles at 12 inches, and deciding, do I want to play combat first turn or later in the game? Because that's pretty much the decision. If you don't want to play it first turn, but you deploy really far forward, it's going to happen straight away. And that's, that's the biggest mistake a lot of my opponents make in deployment is that they don't realize how aggressive I can be, even with a, an army that looks like it's shooting. If I want to play combat first turn, I'll put them on the front line and, and 
drop a point of might to try and go forward straight away. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, definitely. And, and I suppose a lot of that's going to be dependent on the scenario, um, the, where you deploy, um, when you've got the choice. What would be something that I often have issues with is where we have something like Maelstrom deployment. You haven't got an awful lot of choice. Um, but do you have any any sort of th- any tips that you can kind of employ to try and minimise the issues you may have um, from being forced to deploy somewhere you didn't really want to? So with Maelstrom deployment, I think most of the time I'm either deciding, do I want to be opportunistic and try and pick off parts of my opponent's army quickly? So if so, I'll try and draw them in, bait them together, and then throw the rest of my army down around them. That usually happens if you lose priority. But most of the time, it's about trying to keep your army together because there's safety in numbers in that scenario or any of the scenarios that had the Maelstrom deployment. So don't be afraid to spend your might to affect the deployment roles because most of the time you can get a favorable... Uh, favorable outcome with one or two points of might, especially if you start deploying near the corners. So mm-hmm. if you deploy near a corner, you can, you've got two options. So both the the east, west, and the north, south board edges will help you if you get a choice. And don't be afraid to spend a might to drop it down to a to a one and come on later as well, because that could be a real advantage. So you've got to be almost generous with your might. Anything that doesn't have might, I drop down first, and the rest of the army comes around that. So if I bring like um, uh, Castellans, which we've just been talking about offline. Those ones are great to just put down early on, see where they are, and then decide if I want to spend the the points of might on my more expensive or more valuable uh, models to try and help them out, or try and just leave them alone and abandon them. Okay, that makes sense. So you kind of this doesn't in order for the least priority. This is the the thing that matters least in terms of where it goes. I mean, ugh, the last few times I've played games with Maelstrom deployment, the, the mistakes I've made, the biggest ones I've made is is deploying them. Uh, that little bit too far on from the board, maybe the maximum that I can, and then finding my de- my opponent deploying behind them, and then losing losing an isolated unit um, straight off. Now again, that's going to be incredibly situational. But I've already learned. Well, if I don't, if I, there's a chance he can go behind me, then I'm going to keep as close as I can to, or position in a way that he can't can't get behind me. So I'm not not only is my army spread around piecemeal, but it's getting picked off then afterwards as well. So. Um, uh, yeah, your most important models run straight towards the middle, so they and they get like shepherded off by your least important models who make just a ring around them. Yeah. So that uh, basically, so that if you get attacked, which you probably will, then you can let the sacrificial models take the take the attack, and the rest of them can keep going towards the objective. It's usually an objective in the middle, or it's a it's a run around journey trying to dig up some objectives. So you keep those ones moving. So your heroes essentially come on first; they get pushed back you may leave a little channel for them to run through, so a little gap that's the size of their base so they can go and help out if they wish. But most of the time, it's just defend them, put your shield guys on last and and take up some space with them, and then just shield if the enemy comes at you or if they start throwing throwing weapons, you just weather the storm and, and leg it next turn. Yeah, yeah, I've got you. Okay, so if we, if we um, I don't know, if you've got anything else to add to that kind of movement and positioning, kind of, I suppose we haven't really talked much about positioning aside from deployment have we so no not at all um so again this is something i felt has got better every game i played and i think there's probably a very natural natural kind of experience gain to this but i find blocking charge lanes or thinking oh no i can't get that support around now um or i and then the next stage was all oh, positioning if i position this model like this then that's going to stop this model charging here will mean they can only charge this model so what sort of what are your thoughts in that area? How would what would you what would your advice be to new players about how to um, move and position your units? 
at the most basic level, I would say that as a beginner player, your aim is to try and wrap around and encircle your opponent mm -hmm. and try to prevent them from doing that to you. So at the very, very basic level, you want to make sure you keep wrapping around to try and box them in and trap them mm -hmm. or prevent them to coming through. Because once they start coming through, they can start setting up these little either small traps or a big trap and start taking off your important models. So you've really got to make sure that, that you encourage people to come towards you at a part that looks weak, yeah. but then be able to fill up the gaps and making sure that you can do that. Sometimes you get beginner players get really obsessed with uh, the shield wall where you have the spearman directly behind mm -hmm. the, sorry, the, yes, the spear directly behind the shieldman. And that's not effective use of space because both the models are pretty much taking up the same space. Yeah. So if you spread them out a little bit, you can actually guard a lot more space and prevent the enemy getting around you. So you set up this really nice pike block, but then the enemy encircles you and you don't get the use of the pikes because they're attacking them all at the back and yeah. you're not in the right spot and you can't move anymore. You've basically uh, fenced yourself in. It looks nice, but we're not playing um, fantasy battle ranked games, are we, I suppose? So if they're all, as long as you can't fit a model through the gaps, then you're, you're good to go, I suppose. Absolutely correct, yes. So it's, yeah. a bit, it's a bit weird in my local though because... Um... We, obviously, we're still playing at quite a entry level, but uh, playing Iron Hills, I do kind of cast a little bit and then take the charge and then slowly creep around the back because obviously all my guys have got spears and shields, and I've mm. got the shield ball, so I, I'm still trying to retain that that small compact space on so maximizing my defense. So it's it's the next thing I need to do is work out how to strike a balance between maximizing that rule and also covering my space and working on enveloping because sometimes I'll welcome people in to envelop because. You know, then Dane pops out the block and smashes a bloke, and then you know you push through the front and the back. So, mm. so I suppose when well, you actually want to do use the shield wall rule, that that maybe might be the time yeah. that you might want to make sure that they're in base with two other models. Because mm. I can't always dictate the pace because I'm generally slower than my opponent, mm -hmm. especially with the local. You know, we have quite a few of the guys. I've got some hunter orcs and things like that. There's no way I'm going as fast as them, even with goats. So it's about maximizing, sort of, you know weathering the charge and then counter-attacking for me. Right. Yeah, that, that's an elite army that, that doesn't mind engaging in a small front, but then they still spread out because what you don't want as well is to just get totally surrounded and you can probably use the terrain to, to help you out and you're probably on your side of the board, you're probably using crossbows or a ballista or something to draw the enemy towards you because, as you said, you're not going to outrun them. So that's a, a defensive setup, but you still want to be flexible with your formation and make sure that, one, you're not letting people through gaps and two, that you're potentially setting up so you can wrap around them and, and, and stop them going where they like. Yeah, so that's where I'm getting to. I think we're because we're still coming up, we're still kind of in that early stage where we're learning you know, the rules. I mean, even I'm probably one of the, the more learned, and I don't really know that much. So we're still kind of having a bit of a mashup in the middle at the moment. We're still in that very early stages. So this it's starting to come through, though. You can start to see the sort of you know things locking into place where people work at our positioning, this, that, and the other, picking your fight. Order and you're with, with your priority, working out how to create your your trapped models and getting your extra strikes, etc. So it's done to come through, but I think we're still at that early sort of let's castle up and smash each other a little bit. So we're just working on from that. You got a very unique group in that sense, haven't you? That there's probably fifteen odd players that are all all started pretty much at the same time from from nothing, and there's not a couple of core um, experienced players there that are kind of growing the the local group. It's kind of like this group have got together so we play this one game look at this other game isn't it cool let's all play that and it's so you're you're 
learning in a, in a yeah. probably quite a concentrated way in some ways but um and you'll come but up you with your own your own <laughs> mini metas that might not match what's going on in the wider the wider kind of meta i suppose there's, there's a potential for that we, we need to rent some kind of experienced player to come down or something you know <laughs> if anyone's listening they want to come down you know <laughs> you a free club night if you teach us some games <laughs> i'm sure that you're not too far away from um you, the imps, I think yeah, they're, they're so, relatively close. Lincoln. So, you, so yeah, so you you could probably go and see Harry, or get Harry to go over, and I mean, we haven't really spoken to Harry, but if you you could probably um, drag him down for a night or something like that, and, um, and tell him to teach you all. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of hope so. There's a Chinese around the corner. There's a free meal in it as well. If you're listening, Harry. <laughs> anyway, we'll take this this away from some kind of um, SBG Tinder advert to back to <laughs> back to what we were talking about, but um. So we've covered um, basic kind of deployment and um, positioning, and um, I think we've, we've covered movement. Have we have we covered everything from movement, Jeremy? Is just anything that you feel? No, like? no, no, not even close. But I've got a few more things that I want to mention that are, that are really important. Yeah, the placement of your heroes can make or break the game for you because you've got these models that cost a fortune in points, so mm. that they cost so much more than an average troop. And in a lot of cases, they're as easy to kill as maybe two or three troops. Yeah. So if you concentrate your attacks, you could take them out pretty quickly and just totally demoralize an opponent. So if you put them right at the front, they're probably going to get to combat first, but they're also going to cop every single shooting weapon in the, the game at yeah. them. And sometimes that can, that can do them in. So you almost want to put them behind the line, but with the ability to still call the heroic and move in front of everyone. So the way you do this is immediately adjacent to them, right next to them, you've got a space where they can duck around and still fit their base in. So you get this sort of broken line happening where the heroes are behind a clump of troops, but they've got some channels to to shoot out of them. So if you need to go backwards, you'd have a channel behind you that you can sneak through. Or if you need to go sideways, you'd have one sidewards or one at the front. And you give them the space. So if they want to call the heroic, they can get forward, but they still have that protection. If the enemy comes at you faster than you expect, they're not caught out and taken out straight away. Oh, fantastic. See, this, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is something I mess up all the time. And I'm quite cautious, so I'd, I've always been right from game one. Heroes, the line behind, leading the troops, but not leaving that gap. And then going, ah, how do I get into combat? I haven't left myself. Almost waiting for someone to die so that you can you can fit your, fit your hero in. So then, you, again, this will lead on to probably what we're going to talk about after this, is you, effective use of your heroics and your, and your yeah. might, will, and fate and things. And, and I'm, I'm fine I'm not using them. I'm not, not doing much at all, especially when I started with Lake Tan and, and Bard Moby on his horse, who's so got this massive base. Um, so he, he's there shooting which he's good at he's got but he's he's not using he's not using his um strength in combat and you need that when you've got late town militia or something like that they're not they're not doing the work um so i've not even thought about that see that's that's really good that's something that's gonna i'm gonna lock in today is leaving a gap that's big enough to 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 get someone in if need be um, yes yes because your opponent will try to lock that. If you've if you've left no gap, first thing they'll do is pin you in there. So they'll put lots of models there, ones that are hard to kill, and just let you sit there for the whole game behind your troops. Um, at that point, I'll happily use the attacks that don't do any damage. So I'll happily shield. I'll happily do uh, any of the other special strikes that, that stop people dying, just so that hero is locked in there for the rest of the game. Because if they're just standing there watching the action, the opponent's not getting any value out of them, and they're probably 100-plus points or... Um, they're expensive. They take up a lot of your space. Excellent, excellent. Now that's definitely something to try more in my next game because I'm like I said, I got a bit of better bit of positioning, but 
not to the point where it's nailed yet. I think in the last event I was I was running, I got a bit better at blocking charge lanes, especially I was up against a um, a Morialist with a um, a Balrog, and was very mm. conscious. He'd, he'd got around the edge of my line, but he wasn't really going far. And but he was there was a stage where he could have got into the back of my main block with my um, with with Thrall in, and I was running on with Thrall, so with Thrall. Um, and who else did I have in a young a young Thorin? And I thought if if he gets into those heroic combats, then I'm then I'm done for. He's going to roll me up. But I was able to each turn kind of charge him or feed him one model, so he'd heroic on that model and then have to charge, but could only reach one more. So I was just feeding him a couple of models each, each yeah. turn. So I mean, I'm sure there are other situations where positioning in that way can 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 help you kind of being completely nobbled up by something big and, and gribbly. Yeah, we call that the um, the anti flyer formation, where basically you have you have your main point of attack, which is quite dense, mm-hmm. and then everything else has a, a very sparse line of troops. And the idea is that if there's a model that you're scared of that's on a sixty mil base, mm-hmm. you make sure the gaps are, are less than that. So the gaps between them are uh, well it has to be less than sixty. But if you want to, you're a beginner, make them fifty or two bases or whatever. Mm-hmm. So your models can move in and assist if you want to assist. Your heroes can come in and strike if they want to strike. But that monster or or big scary thing comes in and can only kill one or two models a turn. And oftentimes they can't do enough at that point. They need to be doing something more than that. So just feeding a Balrog one model a turn, you're well on your way to winning the game with that one. Yeah, it's, it's what it definitely what what won me the game. I had enough. You know, it was easy enough to kill the goblins and things. Anyway, we won't get into talking about that game, but it definitely helped. Mm. And I can see how that kind, as long as you've got the bodies to do this, that kind of thing can maybe help with protecting your flanks because maybe you have a few models evenly spaced around the flanks of a big block somewhere, so that helps you with things coming developing around the edges. So maybe a cavalry cavalry coming in from the side, if they're only be able to get one or two models at a time, or a hero coming around the side, it definitely slows down that progress until they've killed those models, so they're not straight into the back of that block, which we were talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah, so I've got some, just just the last one I want to do is cavalry, because this is a good way to lose the game if you don't know how to use your cavalry models. Mm-hmm. Cavalry models, uh, they're, they're incredibly valuable, they hit really hard, but they do nothing if you don't get the charge off. They, they get charged, and they're at that point they're worse than a normal model, because they're, they're taking up a big base, they're not getting any spear support whatsoever, and they die just as quickly. So people will love to try and charge them. So when I'm using cavalry, You've got to be really patient with when to charge. So don't be afraid to, to look at the difference between your movements. So the infantry is moving six, you're moving 10. Sit seven inches away and make sure that they can't get you, but you can choose when to go in. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, if you're trying to, if you've if the enemy's got cavalry, don't be afraid to throw a couple shieldmen forward a few inches past the rest of your line. And the aim is here so that if they choose not to charge, next turn your models can go and pin them and grab them for a turn and shield and just hold them up and then put them out of position. So they're forced to deal with these models that are not very valuable at all. It might be a, a little orc or a little men of Minas Tirith or something that's just decided to bravely run ahead and try and bait the enemy towards you. And it can throw people off quite a bit because they don't know what to do with this one model. Yeah. So don't be afraid to, to use that and break up the lines and try to try to either bait the enemy towards you. So the cavalry models, if they all charge that one model, who cares? You lose one model. But you can set it up so you can go and grab them later on. And that's ideally for a cavalry model, you want to charge when you lose priority. So the you wait for the turn where you've lost priority and then you go in because you don't get anyone coming back at you for that turn. And then you go for 
the heroics or whatever for next turn to try and make sure you're in position again. So you've got to be really patient with those models. Yeah, I've got that's really good. I wouldn't, wouldn't have thought of that either, but it may, it, when, you, when you say it, it's so makes so much sense. It's such a, a kind of almost simple, but in that those early games when your your brain scrambled just trying to remember your stat lines sometimes. These kind of things that seem very obvious when you do them just don't just don't come to mind. And this is why we're having this discussion. Really, I thought it might, might be useful for for people. Right then, so are we ready to move on to the the next kind of topic area? I think we've talked about heroics and things quite a lot. So if we uh, if we talk about the use of heroics and effective use of heroics, I know it's something that I really found hard early game because you're still trying to. It depends what kind of game you are, but if you're still trying to get your head around. The, the rules this is a special rule this is the kind of feels like an extra to the to the your, your basic mechanics and it's something that can very easily in the in the heat of battle you forget to use it um but aside from that um it's also easy to use the wrong thing at the wrong time um i think this was offline we were talking about this earlier but i know for the first few games i, I played and i was when i was running heroes with strike and strength that i was focused on strength using strength quite often because i thought it was going to help me kill whereas i should have been focusing in those situations on making sure i win win the uh, actual fight in the first place because they're not going to have a chance to kill anything unless i unless i actually win the dual role so um what are your kind of overarching uh, thoughts on the use of um, effective use of heroics jeremy I would say as a beginner, cut down the heroics that you're going to use entirely. So I would almost ignore half of the ones that are in the game. I would remember heroic move. This is a very important one to make sure that that sometimes you just grab the opponents and, and pin them to a spot or that you run away at the right time or you get on an objective. So heroic move is really important. Know that it's probably always going to be challenged. So you might only get it on a 50-50. So if it's, if it's not that valuable, if it doesn't do a huge amount, just don't spend the might then heroic combat is probably the most valuable heroic in the game because not only does it um, up your killing power, but it also gives you basically double the movement for the turn potentially and also allows you to set up the combat phase to to give you the advantage. So you get this triple threat with a single heroic and it's oftentimes not challenged because you set it up in the movement phase and you know when you're going to do it. So you get that value that it pretty well always works, although there is unlucky. When someone calls a heroic combat, they often die, but that's just a uh, something you notice. Mm-hmm. And then the final one is Heroic Strike. This is the one where you actually don't want to use it if possible because it only ups your fight value. And fight, as a beginner, fight is the stat. If you're ahead on fight, you're going to win the majority of the combats. If you've got lots of attacks and higher fight, you're pretty much always going to win them. So that's that's the the given. It's not just a breaking of draw. It, it does make a huge difference. But it's also the best way to lose might so you're doing strike oftentimes you don't get any value out of it and you just spend the might spend the might you don't get the role you want so it's it's the heroic you need to know about you mm-hmm. need to use it to get those key kills but you almost want to avoid using it the best games are the ones where you didn't have to use it you, you spent your might on something else so i would totally ignore pretty much all the others and i'll just go for those three mm-hmm. with my aim being that i want to set up in a way that i don't need to use a heroic move so I, i'll set up relatively defensively i'm not going to get out of position Set up so that the heroic combats, when I get to move, when I get to choose the combats, I'll set up a big heroic combat. The hero and all his friends go in, call the heroic combat, and then we reposition and start setting up some traps and some support for other things. Mm-hmm. And the strike is, uh, I often use the strike in combination with something like a transfix magic power where you know the other person can't use the strike. So those three, as a beginner, I would focus on. Most of them is trying to kill something big. So heroic combat and heroic strike is all about killing something big that you can take out of the game. Heroic move is 
probably the most important because it's all about positioning and positioning will, will win you the game most of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I, I probably went through games when I was, was barely using anything at all. Um, and then as I said, it seemed to be picking the wrong one in the wrong situation. So focusing on a strength where strike would have been more important, especially when I'm I'm in a in a combat where the opponent's got lots and lots of dice. Um, you need to make sure you win those rolls. So, but yeah, like I, I makes makes sense totally what you said about focusing on those 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 simple, basic, straightforward ones and use them well before you start focusing on the others. And what after that? What would be your tip? So, say you've 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 nailed that side of things. You got use of you're using move move well and and combat. What would be the next stage? Would you say for people that have kind of got to grips with the basics? Um, have you got any sort of the the next stage, the further tips on from there? Yeah, those three are the ones that I use pretty much more than anyone else by far. Heroic defense is really good. So that's one that you can use to basically get out of jail for a turn. So your hero gets charged by three models or four models and you, you make it so that it's hard enough to wound you that you're probably going to survive it. Mm-hmm. So that one's worth considering as part of a tactic. The shooting ones I really don't bother with. You you can use them. There are some cases where they're of value, but until you really know the game or you've got like a really shooting ar- of shooting army, uh, I wouldn't bother with those ones. I wouldn't go for those. The exception, of course, is somebody, something like an Aragorn. You can call as many as you want. The key one here now is March. So Heroic March is another movement one. It helps you get basically an extra three inches for infantry or five inches, but mostly the time you consider it just an extra three inches. This one can be really, really valuable, especially if you decide to march two turns in a row. Because mm-hmm. what you're doing is getting a, a, a turn ahead of someone else in terms of getting to a certain spot or outmaneuvering them. So that's probably my next one that I would consider. Defense is good, but you won't see it a whole lot. March, we've been saying on the Green Dragon that you always bring a march along. And there's enough scenarios where you have to get to a point of the board before the opponent does that it, it is worth getting and it's worth going for the march. And sometimes you do it just to throw the opponent off. And it's also good missile defense. So if someone's got a lot of shooting, a couple marches will take care of a turn of shooting for you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, a couple of your points. I, I've had the shooting one when I started with, with Lake Town. So I, you've got um, Bard and Percy that have both got shooting heroics and I, I didn't use them awful, an awful lot. I think I found I'd rather use their might to make sure that I hit stuff or kill stuff in those situations rather than spending on heroics there um but march is something i've never had in an army and that probably says something about my list building which we might come on to later but i, I find mm. that i'm always kind of not because it's only really on captains now isn't it your standard captains i'm sure there's a, a, there's exceptions to that but i always while i might i've got a captain for my late town army i don't have any cat standard captains for thraw um i'm not picking those models say over a, a cheap um, a cheap hero again we mentioned oh, like a Percy or a Hilda or and in the Thrall army because things are so expensive I'm not really running um, cheaper cheaper heroes so that might be something to think about when I when we talk about list you know, list building in a moment um, yeah the other one that I want to talk about here is uh, and we'll probably talk about a little bit later on as well the heroic channel is really useful but it's also probably the most difficult one to use and the one that's often the biggest waste of resources. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be really clever with what you do for the heroic channel because what you're doing is basically tipping your hand ahead of time. Yeah. So it's even before you move, you have to call the heroic. And there are ways for people to to overcome that one. There's also some other ones that I honestly, for a beginner, wouldn't worry about at all. You'll get to them eventually. And once you establish with the game, try them out. But 
stick to the basic ones and stick to stick to the plan of if you outposition your opponent, you'll probably win the game. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense totally. Okay, so we've talked about heroics, and I suppose that that leads us really, really nicely into effective management of 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 might and we'll we'll talk about will and fate as well so as those those major resources in the game the game the things that make the game tick um i'm probably all or nothing at the moment i, I very rarely do i get to an end of a game i feel like i f- feel like i've used might definitely properly all the way through i've either think well i've spaffed some might doing things i shouldn't have done there or i've got too much left at the end and heroes are dying with too much might left and i'm not using them properly so what a what would you suggest or what tips would you give to people sort of early on for trying to um, use their might, will and fate effectively? I would avoid the the point of might to kill a single model unless it's something important like a banner or even more valuable than that. Mm-hmm. So most of the time killing a single model is not worth a point of might. It's it's tempting. If it's part of a heroic, it probably is. Yeah. But most of the other times... I wouldn't do that. And I try to get my opponent to do that as much as possible. So I throw a, a high defense model or, or the highest defense I have infantry model, one wound into the hero in the hope that I can pull off a few points of might just by killing some models. Cause they'll, they'll think they're getting somewhere and they're whittling me down. But later on, I'll still have the might and they won't. So if I still have might at the end of the game and my opponent doesn't, I'm probably in a winning position most of the time. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be really cautious about what you're spending it on and whether or not it's, is it worth the 50-50 roll-off if you get nothing out of it and your opponent gets something out of it? So I would be very conservative with Might early on. And then as you see the game getting towards break, then you start spending big. So if you're at the point where it's getting towards break and you're losing, then you might decide, okay, I'll just go all out here. I'll start calling some heroic combats or I'll make sure I've got some heroic moves to get my army around my leader so I'll pass my courage test later on or anything like that. It's it, it can be tricky to time it, and the best games are when you finish the game, you've got everything you want, and you sit there, you look at your stats, and you've got no might left. You've just had enough to do everything you wanted to do, and that's that's a real art form. It takes a lot to get through that and know what the heroes can do. Oftentimes, it's the heroes go in, they do what you want to do, and then they just become very conservative, and they just kill a couple guys a turn or a guy a turn um, in the back line. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What about, what about yourself, Dan? Um, I sort of noticed that Jeremy and I were just sort of storming ahead a lot here and, and chatting no, away. No, you're all right. Um, but what what have your been? What have your experiences been? Sort of early game using sort of effective management of your mind. Do you think you've been doing it well, or do you think it's been something that you you struggle with? Well, I see. I, I didn't necessarily pick the best army to learn with. I certainly didn't pick the best army to learn with for my opponents. I'd say, given <laughs> the amount of high defense models, um, I can get Master of Battle around I me. Mean, my captains have Master Battle Five Plus, yeah, which is awesome. Mm. Actually, it's really strong. Um, they're incredibly expensive, but a defense line model with um, Master of Battle. If I, you know, someone tries to strike up to get past my fight to give me a clobber in and i can just nick it off from a five plus and then smash them back it's it's pretty you know pretty strong um so you're giving your local uh, scene the impression that uh, heroics don't work oh no not so much that i think um again tongue in cheek but yeah sorry (laughs) well people are using them to try and take defense eight plus models off the board i definitely we're still seeing a lot of that as joe picked up on early days when you're just using those points of might to you know take models off we're still kind of learning some of the early games we played we sort of you know left it slightly by the side to just get the game mechanics down we're starting to move into you know um using them properly um it we're still very much in the early stages it's 
in some ways quite easy for me because I've got characters like Dane, who's a bit of a combat monster anyway. Um, doesn't always need to use it. I do find I'll finish games with quite a lot of might left over purely because I can just weather it. And then because I've got quite high strength, etc., I can I can dish it out without needing to. Mm-hmm. We move into more complicated sort of narrative play, and I'm actually having to start expending might for March to make more use of the board space. I think that'll come into it as, as the scene grows locally and people become more confident. Then I'll use it more, and I'll be put under more pressure to use my might more effectively. Yeah. And it's not to say, like, you know, that I'm, I'm storming people. Um, I, my most regular opponent is um, Will, and as it is, we play Dwarf v Dwarves. It's <laughs> Kazadun versus Iron Hills. So it's just, you know, it must sound like a war in an iron foundry, just literally knocking each other about at defense seven plus. So it's a good thing your table most is the time. slightly under four foot, then, isn't it? Yeah, yes. <laughs> it, 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 that's definitely helpful, actually. It looks very pretty, and I'm, I'm indebted to Carl for the, for the having it, but it's, uh, it's totally come in my favor, actually. You know, get them close. Um, yeah, it, it, it's the most interesting part for me. It's why I spend most of my time when I'm lo- reviewing the book is actually trying to really get my head around the different heroics and when would be best to call them. A lot mm. of it's theoretical at the moment because, uh, you know, we, we're not quite to that point locally where we're really pushing each other so hard you know that will come in time we're still some you know really good fun but yeah i think when i go to my first event which uh, obviously will be march down in uh Cheltenham with yourself it'll uh, <laughs> i'll encounter more experienced players they'll make me think i'm fully expecting to take a hammering um but that's how i'll learn yeah absolutely so i'm looking forward to that oh and i kind of i want to move into a you know, somewhere that's going to... I will be, you know, taught a lesson, so to speak, because it's how I'll learn. Well, you don't know who you come up against, to be honest with you. And with, with it being doubles, it's going to throw up a, some interesting mm. non-standard game situations. But, um, yeah, you'll de- you'll definitely uh, learn a lot from doing the events. I've I've played more event games than I have club games, partly because it's hard for me to, to find a regular time that I can get away and do it with the young family. But... Um, that sort of four concentrated games or less it will be for the doubles but in a day we, you kind of you learn from one game to the next and you can almost practice your mistakes right away rather than waiting a week or two weeks before you get to play the game again which is which is quite um quite beneficial that's um, a broader cross-section of armies which interact <clears throat> differently and have different makeups and different heroic actions suit them differently so yeah. it'll encourage me to think differently about how i respond to that and how i use my own yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So before we move on to um, sort of will and fate briefly, because there will be quicker conversations, I think. Um, are, are there any other sort of areas that you think we need to cover about the the use of might? So you mentioned a little bit when we talked about deployment and 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 using it there, not being frightened to use it there if it's a really important part of the game. Are there any other kind of tips or or things that you can think of that are really important to make sure you do or don't use might in a, in a certain area of the game that you can do? I think uh, mainly just that once you hear, see a hero that has no might left, treat them as just a normal infantry warrior. So throw lots of models into them, surround them, and you will take them down eventually. So when, once they get to the point where they've got no might, even if they've got high fight and lots of attacks, just start attacking them. Just go into them. They'll only kill a couple guys a turn, maybe, if they're really lucky. Most mm-hmm. of the time, one or none. And then you'll, you'll whittle them down more often than not. So... Be, be be mindful of that. Once a hero is out of might, it's essentially just a normal fighter and it's pretty easy to take down. Even those big defense eight models, you throw enough in them, you trap them and you you get through, you get the wounds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so 
rather than talk about will because i think that this will blend into a chat about sort of early mm. use of magic and things let's talk about fate a little bit are there any it seems fairly i'm probably wrong with this but it's felt fairly sort of obvious at times well yes i will use a fate here to um, try and save that wound no i won't but what, what are you have you got any kind of overarching um sort of thoughts around the use of a fate or is it pretty much just use it when you can do there's not a lot to go into it. Most of the time, you don't need to use fate until you're onto the last wound. So a lot of times, there's no benefit to using it early. The The key exception is when you're giving up victory points for every wound you take. Mm. So then it's worth using early on if you feel like it. Keep in mind that you're probably going to, if you get a three on your fate, you need to know ahead of time, am I going to use my might on that or not? Or, or am I going to go to the next fate? Mm. With fate, you can't go backwards. So you roll the die. You need to resolve that die before you choose to use the next point of fate. Yeah. So you've got to be careful, and once you start rolling it, you pretty much you're in a little bit of trouble anyway. It's one of those <laughs> cases where you you never actually want to get to the point where you're using the fate. You prefer not to, yeah. but watch out for things like um, Castellans or uh, some of the some of the ones that do auto wounds if they if you fail your fate, they, they kill you outright. There's quite a few things around that do that. Then right. you want to really really hold on to your fate as much as possible. So. Uh, just just be careful. The the terrible Mirkwood Spider and Castellan combo where one of them pulls your fate off to prevent spider webs and the other one, once you're out of fate, goes in with a Morgul Blade is a scary combination. So just be aware of when you spend your point of might, the opponent may have something that, that instant kills you. Right. So just be just be careful of that and try to work that out before the game. Even ask your opponent. You can always talk. That's what we mm-hmm. we, we definitely allow that. So ask them, do you have anything that does multiple wounds? And yep. if they say yes, then... Hold on to your fate until that attack comes through. Yeah, yeah, that makes makes sense, definitely. And something I would probably wouldn't pick up on in the heat of battle at the moment. Not played enough games for that to always kind of... It will be... You learn by that happening to you so often, don't you? And that's when it really, really sticks in your your mind. Oh yeah, that's 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 happened to me. I'll be a bit more cautious. But yeah, I don't... I don't it's one area I don't feel like there's been uh, too much kind of um, thought around. I have felt like I haven't needed to beat myself up about mistakes for it. Okay, so... I think moving on now, we'll talk about um, we'll talk about will, but then we'll also talk about magic, seen as that's where it's most of its use is going to be. So that'll sort of become one, one conversation really. Um, I have limited experience using magic, so I've used used Gandalf and Gandalf only, and I haven't used him for a while because I've been playing Thrall. Um, so I'm I'm very green when it comes to magic use. I haven't come up across a lot of magic either in all the games I've played. Very rarely come up against other magic users. Um well at least not not in a common sort of thing every every game. I've not come up against any elves or anything like that. And I, I don't know about yourself, Dan, but um you've probably not used magic at all, have you? Uh I've not used magic at all, although I am after listening to the, some of the more recent Green Dragons I am excited about doing um sort of a Angmar, because the, the amount of talk about using Compel, it sort of sounds very, very much how I enjoy to play. Just, you know, mm. drag all this stuff out and just smash it to death. I, I love the sound of that. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, I'm obviously, I've got uh, Lothlorien for the event in March, Flotsam and Jetsam. So, that's going to be interesting. Um, obviously, the, it's been spoken about recently about sort of Enchanted Blades and things like that in the episode with Harry. So, mm-hmm. um, Celeborn being able to do that because that's the only real way I'm going to be able to touch some of the larger high defense models because it's quite, quite a flimsy army. Yeah. So, I'm really excited to learn. So, I really am going to need to get some practice games in before then. But I'm actually really looking forward to doing some of the magic stuff. I'm, I'm considering getting um, Gandalf to ally into my own hills. Because I think if I'm not taking the ballista, then um, 
being able to use his magic to mitigate some of the shooting incoming while I'm marching mm. would be quite mm -hmm. useful. Yeah, I found um, my initial thoughts when I started playing the game and using him was it reminded me of playing War Machine a lot. Was that I like the fact that the, the magic, at least from him, didn't feel kind of all powerful kind of magic. It was very much kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna move you this model here. I'm going to try and stop this model doing this or that or I'm going to protect it very much felt like the kind of combos you'd build up with in playing the game of War Machine so I liked it it's good but it's, it definitely feels like a finesse thing so I we're both rambling far too long leaving the person who know, actually knows about this um, in, in the dark there so what Jeremy what do you, what, what are your kind of initial thoughts on how beginners could maybe make effective use of, of magic and, and managing the will magic's one where initially you're probably going to basically focus on how do you resist it and that's i'll focus on that first of all will is is a finite resource you do potentially get some back if you roll a six and that that's very handy but think very carefully about what spells you resist because your opponent's probably going to throw some spells that don't do much early on and try and pull your will down mm -hmm. so they'll do things like maybe a drain courage early on or a transfix before combat starts or something that, that you get scared of, but you realize by quickly looking at it going, there's no real advantage to, to resisting this one. I'm going to swap potentially a stat for a wheel or something else. There's, there's a chance that the opponent might fail it. They'll have to spend some resources or, or anything like that. Don't go too early on the resist. So hold off on the resist for the things that are going to do big things. Now, the big things with spells are basically things that set you up to be killed straight away. So this is your classic, uh, anything that, that does wounds automatically, which are usually pretty hard to cast, quite frankly, the, the black darts and the, the chill souls. Mm -hmm. So if they can kill you, that's worth resisting. That's worth doing if you can get it off, but they're high high resources to, to cast spells with. Okay. Uh, the compel is actually the sneaky, dangerous one. So the compel is the one that, as Dan said, you can move a model and you get the, the double effect is you move them where you want to. So usually you can move them out away from their support and you can throw lots of models around them to get the trap and get lots of attacks in there. But they also have no ability to strike. So you use this with a combination of potentially a striking model. And then you've got to a point where this hero or this big model or this troll is probably going to go down in a turn. So that spell is very scary. So you might just start throwing one die compels at a model over and over again just in the hopes that you can pull the wheel off and then make that that one attack where you can set it up and and go for go for broke on it. So that's a lot of times it is setting up for that one. Transfix does the job if you don't need to move them. It's pretty mm -hmm. much the same thing. Those spells are also good at uh, using models to block up space or just to stop a model being effective. So transfixing a Boromir means Boromir is not doing any kills for this turn. That's pretty valuable as well. So that's what your spells are doing. Keep in mind, you're probably only going to get off three or four spells with a ring wraith a game that are going to do anything. So you want to make sure you really choose when you do them and you've got the support of the rest of the troops because most of the times you're going to get resisted or you're going to fail and you don't want to lose that will too quickly because that then you die. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the, the, the key kind of things early on for me is so with Gandalf, if you get your free will each turn as long as you've 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 got some left so it was kind of like well I've, i was always thinking i've got my starter dice how many do i want to add to this um and that you what we, is there a, is there a, a rule to that would you say is it kind of like try not to roll try not to roll two more more than two dice i suppose it depends how much will you've got in the first <laughs> place but um it felt like i was being reckless if i was going to roll any more than three dice really and i feel like it's really important i've got my free one press two that felt like that was kind of i need to get this off that's sensible don't chuck any more but maybe i maybe that's been uh, 
he i think that was the only resource i noticed i was running out of early games whereas i wasn't using my um, my heroes well so i still had might left so um, might have been telling me about about the way i was using those so what would you suggest about that is there an is there a rule can you can you say don't roll more than this many dice on a on a magic um spell i i will, won't give you a solid rule but i'll give you a very rough idea uh, if I don't care if it goes off, if I don't need it to win the game, it's pretty much a one-die spell. So I will keep doing that to put pressure on and be opportunistic. But if I don't need it, it's just the one die because you don't want to spend a lot of resources on that. Yeah. When it's something that's important, uh, if I'm going against something that can't resist, so I'm casting a spell on my own model or I'm casting a, a, a some, something important, I might go two. But if it's opposed, if I need this, so I need this compel to take this hero out because it's causing me a lot of grief, or yeah. I need to remove it this turn, and it's going to be opposed, that's where it turns into I'll throw three or four dice at it. Rarely more. Once you get more, you get pretty much diminishing returns. Yeah. But you're basically hoping to get a six. You're probably going to spend the point of might to turn a five into six at that point, yeah. and then just hope for your opponent to either one of two things, either use up a bunch of resources to, to resist it or to fail it, and then you can remove that model's threat for either the whole game or a part of the game. Fantastic. Yeah, that makes sense totally. I think um, the temptation was to think in terms of other games, game systems, and roll too many dice sometimes, and rather than just think, well, I'll run, I'll run, I roll two, and then I've got might. Um, maybe I'll use one of those to make sure that 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 dot, you know, to buff one of those rolls rather than rolling more dice and and wasting more wasting more will. Seem to seem to be more effective use of the the overall um, resources. Um, um, what else? Yeah. I mean, from a from a really really basic point of view, um, if there's anyone out there that is extremely new, one or two games in, um, the mistake I made early on was thinking there's a magic waiting for a magic phase, and I go, oh, don't, I should have, uh, I, should, <laughs> I, should, I really need to use spells in my movement phase, and it got me. It really got me in the first couple of games I played. I just my brain, I think it was from playing years of playing other games where the magic was always contained within a phase, and it's very obvious, I suppose, if you read the rules and um, you know when it sits, but. I um it definitely got me. Um, so um, make sure that you uh, remember to do your spells when you move your magic user. I think would be a, a really, really, really basic level tip. Um, have we have we have we've not covered everything there in any detail? Have you got any other things that you think that would be important to add in terms of sort of using will and, and fate and magic and sorry will and, and magic at this stage do but it's it's a bit of a bit of an abstract uh one it's slightly related to that if you want to practice getting good with magic i would actually depending on whether you're good or evil find a way to ally either some specters or a wood elf sentinel which is i think in the lothlorien list Mm -hmm. because those ones have a strange spell where they've got three choices one makes you pass a courage test one uh i can't remember what some of the others do but there's one spell that's really important there where you're allowed to move your opponent if they fail a courage test. Right. And that spell gives you a real good idea of what the magic can do and how you can move a model to your advantage and either delay them or bring them towards you and get them killed. And you get to do it every turn because they don't spend will. They're the strange models where you get to get to use this spell over and over and over again and the opponent can't actually resist them except for passing courage tests. So there's a chance they'll fall apart so they're a good sort of intro to magic mini magic that that you can take and learn how to do that and they they pretty much turn into the compel tactics which is slightly more powerful but a lot more resource intensive yeah yeah makes sense totally 
Okay, so moving on to something else. And this is something that could have been linked to a discussion sort of earlier when we talked about positioning and movement and then into we sort of started talking about combats. But something I, I'm absolutely awful for is is using special strikes properly and thinking about what weapons my models have aside from thinking of them as a hand weapon rather than and think, thinking of swords or axes or, or clubs and, and really thinking about how that will... I can use those within within the combat, let alone just sort of two-handed versus single-handed. And um, how do, you know what what sort of what are your thoughts on helping new players early days with with getting their head around those sort of finer kind of intricacies of of the combats? Uh, if I'm honest, I would say almost don't bother with them early on because mm. they're usually of minimal gain unless you really set up a, a position for them. The special strikes I'm talking about, mm -hmm. two-handed weapons a very rarely good value. So you basically, once you've got a, a huge amount of attacks, that's when the two-handed weapon comes in. And sometimes you have it on the hero and you have to be willing to spend the might once you use the two-handed because it does significantly reduce your chances of winning the combat. So two-handed, once again, I would just grab maybe one or two in your army and just find good spots to use them, usually teamed up with a hero who can win the combat for you. But yep. I wouldn't put too much weight into those. The special strikes, basically the ones that you see a lot are the feint, so this is, I would not use it when you're lower fight value because you risk killing yourself and it often happens. I would use this when you have at least one model in the combat that has the equal or higher fight, then everyone else does the fainting. Yeah. So that one model maintains their fight value, keeps the high fight going, and everyone else that's in the combat, so base to base with the model that you're fighting, goes and faints, and there's a small chance that they'll do a, a wound uh, a small increase in the chance of doing a wound. So it's not a huge thing. A lot of models have it automatically built in where the part of their army bonus or part of their model bonus. So it's not a huge one. The strike, uh, not strike, the pierce one is the, the probably the next most common one. This is all to do with uh, increasing the chances of killing based on the, the numbers you're fighting against. Fighting the same. So if you're an odd strength, Fighting an odd strength is usually easier than fighting an even strength because of the the gap between them, the way the wound chart works. Yeah. So what does the pierce does is it ups your strength by one. So if you're fighting against, say, a model with an, an even defense, so I'm fighting against a defense six model and I'm a strength three model, I would prefer to get up to strength four. So that, uh, but the, the disadvantage is I will lose my defense quite a bit. So basically, I use these when I'm pretty sure I'm going to win the combat. So when I've got more attacks than the opponent, yeah, and then I'll go for it to to help with the wounding to try and to balance out that that even odd. So you don't use them if you can't get to that. You want to be the same same type. So if you're going against an odd defense, defense seven, you want to be an odd strength, strength three or strength five. There's no real advantage to being to strength four or strength six. So you've got to be clever about when you use that. Mm -hmm. The other ones as a beginner. Just avoid for the moment. They are they do have some uses, but they're very much on the the advanced side of it. I wouldn't even bother with them at all. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I I think I rarely use them. A lot of it is because it feels feels like well, I'm not going to use them properly. I'm going to overcomplicate things and, and probably ruin my whole game plan by focusing on them. I definitely like the thoughts around trying to offset whatever negative they have whatever debuff if you can offset that by numbers or or, or a hero within that combat so to you it's kind of a win-win situation that seems to be a, a good way of using them as well um I, I think i mean have we covered that section there i think we have in terms of special strikes and, and, and weapon types really do you have any other sort of thoughts you've got before we move on to to the next bit 
What about Stab to Win? I've heard that one mentioned before where you deliberately push it to get to the 25% breakdown if you're in a superior position for victory points. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're going through some advanced tactics there. Yes, there are some special strikes that you can either increase kills. So if you want to die, going two-handed or stabbing to get yourself killed is not a bad idea. So sometimes you're on the objective, you're in the position to win the game, and you just need a couple models to die to get to the either the 50% or 25%. Then by all means, stab yourself away and, and try to hurt yourself. There's a, a lot of the strikes that do that. Uh, conversely, there's also some non-lethal strikes. So uh, things like stun and bash you can use instead of killing. So it's a way to get, if you need some more time and the game's going on, you can say you get your hero to do a, a stun attack. Then there's no chance of them killing a model. And then the game continues on. So that's probably more advanced than beginner stuff, but that's definitely a way of doing that. So you can man- like manipulate the breakpoints or when the game ends and find ways to to increase the kills or to decrease the kills depending on what you need. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you if you're in a combat that you can't avoid and but you can you have the ability to not hurt something in that combat and you don't want to hurt them then that seems it seems logical but again early early days that might be quite hard to sort of follow that process through especially when you're used to playing games where generally you want to kill stuff. And then, hmm. and then the other side. If you want to break yourself, if you do anything that makes it easier for your opponent to kill you, then I suppose that's a that's going to be a good thing as well. Okay, so move, we're getting near the end now in terms of the kind of the initial things that we we sort of noted down to talk about. Um, the the last bit here of of general kind of play is something that can be a bit. Oh, I suppose this topic could go off into all kinds of different tangents, but it's about special rules and, and buffs, things like that. Have you got any tips to help? new players maybe remember things something even as simple as remembering you've got a banner effect on someone especially if it's someone that's not actually weaving a banner so it might be someone with a banner effect rather than a banner or other special rules and buffs have you got any sort of things that will help players in their early games i would start putting down a token next to heroes that have any of those uh or heroes or models that have any sort of buff in them uh, the banners are the main one banners are so important in this game and they they really do they're really worth their their points. So you put down a little token. There's some that come with their generals pack. I think they have some flags on them, but you make your own. Put something next to them just to remind you and tell your opponent as well. Say, I'm putting this down to remind me that the these models are in buffs. Can you remember as well? Because you might want to stay out. And just, just put it as a positive to them as well that, uh-huh. that you might want to stay out of Bard's combat range. And the more you talk about it, the more you remember those. And they are... They are embarrassing to both sides when you miss them because I, I regularly during games will remind opponent, do you want to take your banner roll? Do you want to take your banner roll? Because I, I hate the idea of losing because someone forgot something as simple as that. They've put it in the place. They've paid the points for it. They've moved it there. It's just part of the mechanics of the game. Like You don't, you wouldn't say to someone, oh, you've forgotten to shoot or you forgot to roll a dice in your combat or something like that. You you, you remind them and mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's the same thing. So just talking about it a bit, uh, explaining to your opponent, I've got this banner effect. I've got this buff effect is a good way of remembering them. Putting it in the, the front of your mind. Sometimes, um, I know Kylie's a big fan of this from the Green Dragon. She writes a little um, almost checklist for herself at the start of each game to remind her about certain things. So it might be that a hero has a certain buff or that she wants to be aggressive or, or something, just a little three-point plan. Mm. And that can be pretty handy for her. So things like remember the banners or even things like just go kill the banners or or something like that just to, just to focus on it. Because once you focus on something, you don't forget it as often. Yeah, yeah, I've I've done that before. I've not done that for this system actually, but I've done it before for a uh, for fantasy, and I gave myself like a each turn look. I look work through my checklist, so 
first thing I do is put this down for next thing is do this thing and next thing is do it just remind you to check those things especially if you're your it helps in war machine as well remember to put this buff up this this debuff up or this buff up cast this spell first before you do this that kind of thing just a, a bit of an order because you, you've probably got these plans in your head when you're you're building your list even as a new player but it's that heat of battle that your your brain scrambles and your opponent's more uh, you know more experienced than you and you get a little bit nervous you make a mistake and things and you start forgetting things it's very easy to get to the end of the game and go oh, i know this stuff why have i why have i not done that and even now i still think oh i didn't why haven't I been using that banner rerun on this model or that? Um, what about, is there anything else in that kind of area, any other kind of things that you can think of that, that new players will commonly forget aside from some banners and things? I think the the cards that you've talked about, if you get access to them or, ma- or you make your own, I think making your own is probably just going to be as effective. Is a good way of doing that. So I've done that in the past where I've made a little cheat sheet for my, my army with, uh, things like Fury, Cast Fury, I always put at the bottom because I always forget to do that. And then when it comes down to Courage Test, I go, oh, I'll use my... Oh, I haven't cast Fury yet. I forgot to. So just just reminding checklists, talking about it, to, uh, measuring ranges at the start of the phase that it's re- related to. So things like, um, as you said, the banners before is in the combat phase. I'll make sure as part of the combat phase, especially if I've lost priority, first thing I do is put my tape measure around my hero- banners and just see which ones are in and which ones aren't. Mm-hmm. So I can I can jump in straight away with i've got a reroll here and uh, you can talk to your opponent about that as well i'm measuring my banner ranges and they're fine then they will help you remember it as well probably or they'll do something sneaky to get out of range of it yeah yeah makes makes sense totally um okay so i think we can move on to um the the probably the final kind of rulesy thing which would be the, the scenarios now you've your recent show you did some some more sort of advanced sort of tactical chat and you talked about a lot of the scenarios in, in great detail but um what do you have any kind of beginners tips for how to manage the scenario i know there's there's 12 of them um there's a lot to take in so it's hard for a new player to go and memorize them all to know exactly what to do for for each of them but if you've got any kind of beginner tips for ways to approach scenario play in general so they don't kind of make any common mistakes yeah so there's Basically, three main themes to the scenarios. There is some some slight variations on them, but mostly you have to either get somewhere to get some points, you have to break your opponent's force and try to not break yours to get some points, or kill a specific hero or leader and then try to protect yours to get some points. And usually the scenario is a mixture of those things. So straight away, look at what's the most valuable thing. If it's one of those get to a certain place, then kills become totally secondary. You you don't mind dying on the objective. You have to be on the objectives and you have to prevent your opponent from getting those objectives. Now, if you kill them, that prevents them quite well. But you've got to make sure you time it as well. If it's killing a leader, then everything becomes about how am I going to bait that leader out? How am I going to draw them out so that I can throw lots and lots of attacks on them and get them to, to make a mistake somewhere? So that changes how you play as well. And then the final one, the break one, if it's... if it, the most important thing to do is prevent yourself from breaking. Then you go into almost a a really defensive game plan where I'm really not going to give up anything. I'm not going to go and throw models out carelessly. I'm going to keep them all nice and together. I'm going to use the terrain because you can't kill terrain and it blocks up spaces. So let's fight on the small front and, and bring it that way. And you've got to just make the choice of what you're actually doing. A lot of people go into a game, not knowing what they're doing. And if your job is to go and kill a hero, you're going to have to get to that hero. So head towards that hero. If your job is to get to somewhere, you're going to have to get to somewhere. So don't be afraid to call a march or to move directly towards it. And if the enemy gets in your way, just start killing them. 
you've got to make sure you have a plan there. Uh, most of the time, you're not going to change your plan. Once you've got your plan, you're going to keep going. In advanced games, the players will go to plan B, C, D, and so on. But mm. most of the time in a game, you don't have the opportunity to because your resources are depleted so much that you can't go and change what you're doing halfway through. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's very easy. I, I definitely found very easily in my first sort of first 10 games or so to focus very much on right we're going to have a fight that's that's the first thing and then the secondary thing is look at all of the look look at how many vps i've got from the scenario afterwards rather than thinking right how is my army going to achieve these um objectives um and the fighting is part of that rather than it's not a pitch battle with some secondary the the scenario isn't the secondary um objectives it is the scenario and it was very easy to kind of get in, kind of engaged in that especially when some of the scenarios are very much fighty um it's very easy to kind of forget that i found early on especially when you've got some real kind of head scratches like heirlooms which i love really really fun but you think well okay well i can see where the objectives are and then your master deployment comes in and then from that point it's very easy to kind of think oh okay well i'm all over the place here and um and chase after things or do it in the wrong way and do it in the wrong order or I, for a start i used to race around just check, if we use heirlooms as an example i'd just race around trying to uncover um any any objective that i was near to whereas actually controlling <laughs> some of those um and making sure that the one i've controlled um is going to be the last one <laughs> is was a much better way of doing it rather than just thinking oh well, well it's under one of them it's uh it's very easy to think at, treat them like counters where the bottom of the counter is the heirloom rather than it's this is a dice roll um and the the more you don't roll so the more you flip that aren't it the, the higher the percentage chance of the next one so um definitely um definitely 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 taking notice of the the, the scenario and, and form a plan around it because it makes it really transforms the game for you seems such an obvious thing to say All right, what about yourself Dan? how many, how many um, different scenarios have you played now have you played through most of them in the pack and uh not all of them no not yet um obviously quite a few of them we're still playing uh the more simple ones generally sort of you know 12 inch setup and worked 25 percent mm-hmm. um from break uh purely because they aid people and just learning um i've played a few more of the others uh played sort of lords of battle and, and uh we did roll uh will and i recently rolled um the, the camp is storm the camp yeah and we went We've both got dwarves. <laughs> nah. And so, but we will get around to it. Um, I think um, as more people get painted up and the armies get larger and we've got a broader cross section of different, um, you know, experience levels and army and uh, force types, then we'll play a more varied. I think um, get, making a little mini campaign in the sort of the group might help to, you know, push on people's experiences and uh, play some more of the varied mission types. Yeah, some of them do seem to, if you're playing very small. What size did you start? It's like quite small, didn't you start? Was it like 250 points, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, we're doing 250-point chunks, um, sort of as escalation. It's it's still going strong. It's faltered slightly because of the time of year, people, money, etc. Yeah, well, some of those scenarios will feel quite odd at a very small um, game size. If you've only really got a warband and you've got objectives spread all over the board, it, the board suddenly feels very big, doesn't it? My first game yeah. was 600 points, but it was we rolled it. It was it was Storm the Camp, and I um I came up against um, a um, Azog's um, Legion force, but it was Azog, a couple of trolls, and about four Gundabad and a couple of bats. So the, the four Gundabad sat in the camp, and then I had <laughs> the rest to deal with, and it was probably it was a great game, but it was wasn't anywhere near what 
a standard game might be like. It didn't give me that kind of feel of this is this is one of a one of a you know if you play a four round tournament, two of your games at least each time, maybe three will feel like they're kind of centre of the table, objective focused kind of games with 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 fights. The camp was a little bit kind of okay. Well, I'm not. It was very apparent very early on that I wasn't going to get anywhere near the other side of the board, um, and. Um, I think I think there's only one or two I haven't played as well. I've played most things a few times now. Some I, there's a couple I don't like, but most of them are pretty good. Okay, so to finish off, then um, I think we should talk a little bit about some um, early list building and rather sort of go into the specifics of faction, just sort of some general principles. What are some of the um, some some tips you can give to to new players for early list building and some of the common mistakes you see people people do? Firstly, I would say as a general uh, for list building, go for one model per t- 20 points as as your minimum. So minimum amount of models. So if you've got a 500-point army, try not to go less than 25 models to start off with because the smaller, smaller your army is, the harder it is to win the majority of the scenario. Some of them will be easier, but most of them will be harder. So I would go for an elite army at one every 20. And if you've got a, a horde army or a, a not-so-elite army, go for a lot more. So one for every 15, 12 points or so, just to make sure that you've got enough models to do things. Because as a beginner, your heroes are not going to be that much better than your troops. You're going to get a lot more out of your troops. And once you learn how to use your troops, then you're going to start winning some games. So don't be afraid to to bulk up on them. Go for big war bands. Take a lot of models. Uh, so that, that'll be the first one. The second one will be take a mixture of heroes. Don't go overboard on big, expensive heroes. Maybe take one big, expensive heroes, and then the rest of them, some of the cheaper ones, and try to fit in a march where possible just so you've got the option to move faster if you need it. So that's usually a basic captain. Uh, sometimes it's just a captain on foot with a shield, and his job is to to run forward and then engage the toughest enemy and just, just stand there and shield against them and, and hold them off for a turn to. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think um, the biggest tip I have for, for for new players is to get you to write their first list for them, because then you can you can skip that whole um, <laughs> whole stage of not knowing what you're doing. I think when I started chatting to Dan and some of that group, there were there were questions about list writing that I didn't. I felt that I didn't. I thought, well, I didn't really come across that head scratcher because as soon as I decided I wanted to play the game, even before I read the rules, I messaged you, Jeremy, and said, I want to play the game. I'm going to buy some models. I want. I really wanted to know what kind of things to buy so I didn't buy loads of stuff that wouldn't be any use. And I asked for a list and you came back with about 10 for me. <laughs> and it really, really helped me. But I suppose tongue-in-cheek out, taken out of that, if you know someone that's a bit more experienced with the game and before you've purchased your models and things, have a little really, really helpful to have a a chat with them about the kind of models you like to use and the kind of game you want to play and, 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 and run your run your list by someone a bit more experienced because it can maybe save you some money, stop you buying something that that you that's not gonna work. I mean every model's got a use and if you love the model and you want to play it, go and play it. You know, we don't it's not all about being the most competitive thing, but it might you might pick two models that just don't work together you might really really love Rivendell Elves and go and buy yourself a Gilgalad and then go buy yourself uh, an, an Arwen at the same time and then you go pick up the rule book and go oh so the, the, having someone that's a, that's played the game for a little bit just look over initial list ideas or help you write that first list if you're that new um, or even just new to a faction can be can be really handy um, mm. um, what, how did you handle your, your first list Dan what was your I can't remember how, well how, some of it was Largely, uh, well, 
we did discuss it, didn't we, before I actually... I suppose you don't have a lot of hero down. choice, do you, in that in that list? Nope. So, <laughs> so it kind of, kind of writes itself for you. Anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, no, so, um, we did discuss it a little bit, didn't we? And um, I sort of battered a few ideas your way and you gave me a couple of hints and tips and pointers. Obviously, the first thing I wanted to do was get Dane because it's, you know, it's, it's Billy Kong on a pick. It's wicked. <laughs> and I went, ah, he's like most of my 250 points. That would be insane. Um like mostly to begin with, it was determined by what I bought, which was you know the uh, Spearman pack, the, the twelve um, Iron Hill Spearman, and then the command, yeah, uh, with spear and the banner, and then it generally went from there because the problem with particularly the Iron Hills is, I mean, the, char- the captains are insanely expensive. They're more expensive than a lot of the name characters for other factions, yeah. just to start with. Um, so there was no real way of running effectively to warbands so i had to pretty much maximize one warband and then learn and mm-hmm. spread it out and then see how it went um and then from there it was you know increasing uh i got like a second captain and split the warbands up a little bit but a lot of it's been dictated by the sheer cost but in points of some of the models and then um Money, money comes into it a lot. What I could afford to buy it in terms of models, because it's not the greatest army to start with. <laughs> it's 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 one of the cheapest game systems for buying compared to others, but not if you you pick a pure four dwarf army for for sure. Especially if you live in Australia, where Jeremy does, I think it's a little bit <laughs> even more expensive. Um, yeah, I've heard. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, completely. Well, not very related. So, if you if if you're nerds, you probably watched um, the extended Hobbit films, or maybe watched the appendices. And there's a really kind of almost awkward part when they're interviewing Billy Connolly, and he's not on it very often. I can probably guess why, because he kind of rips into all of the the strange people who come up and, and like Lord of the Rings and like um, fantasy stuff, and he kind of goes on this little kind of piss take of anyone that's slightly nerdy and you think if you're watching the appendices of an extended edition of a film you probably fit into that demographic so it <laughs> might be might be why he's not featured much in the um in all of the uh, the actor interviews and stuff but it made, made me chuckle but um um i think we've um we've kind of covered a lot of useful information for for very new players and also people you know, like myself and, and Dan, who was still within the sort of first year or so of, of playing. So we've maybe moved past those initial mistakes, but still making others. There's definitely some things that I've picked up that would be really, really useful. Hopefully the um, some of the more experienced players listening to this, um, if they are listening to this, um, have um, enjoyed the, con- the conversation as well. I mean, are there anything, any things that you think we haven't covered, Jeremy, that would uh, worth adding to this or mentioning before we before we draw it to a close? Oh, just some very quick dot points on the, the army list building mm-hmm. do include banners. There's Beginner players have this debate. There's some stage in the game where they go, I think it's better to have three more models than a banner because three more models are three more models. It's going to take me longer to get to breakpoint. The banners are much better value. Take at least one banner. If you're going for a big game, 800 to 1,000, probably consider two or some armies, even three, if you've got access to them. They really increase the chances of winning fights in mm-hmm. certain areas of the battlefield, and most of the fights are in there. You get lots and lots of fights in a similar area. A banner there will help you. So do include banners. If you want to include cavalry as a new player, put two or three in a single infantry warband and spread them out that way. Don't put them on their own, because if you put them on their own, you're probably going to get 
taken advantage of and someone's going to go kill them off before you get to use them and see what they actually do. So put them behind your infantry and wait for them as a counterpunch. So those are my two points of advice. Oh, sorry, last one. I've got one more. Um, Do take archery. Take some sort of archery if you have it available for you, even if you don't plan to use it because these models fight just as well in combat as the other models. So things like orc archers are still orcs. They still fight very well, but it gives you the opportunity to, to threaten the opponent from far to control the battlefield a little bit and to get the odd kill here and there that might be important. Yeah, that makes sense. I think anyone new who's played a few games and has used archery will be thinking, oh, this isn't as, as potent that it is maybe in other game systems. It's not dominated. It's a good thing because not, there's not too many kind of situations where you're being shot off the board, though it can happen with, with certain ranger lists and things. Um I probably went for a stage of thinking, right, lots of lots of bows to thinking, well, are they really, really worth it? But like you just said, of course they are, because they can still fight there. Or you're, you're, you're missing a shield maybe, though you can obviously have both if you want to kit your models out in such a way that or some models might be able to take both, depending on their selections. But um, yeah, I've, I've, I've always found the useful. I don't have them in the thrall list. I've only got the throwing axes and at six inches where they're, I'm fine. I'm forgetting to uh, use them on on the way in the charges, but um, you can definitely get some um, really good buffs. Things like Percy buffing buffing um, Lake Town um, bones is really really good. It's really good re-rolling those um, those um, ones. So there's some good buffs out there to help you with your with your, your shooting as well. Cool. Right then, I think we've we've had a, a good more well, over an hour chat then on on stuff for for new players. I think if we talk much longer, it'll be information overload, and um, it, you know people will start losing the point of some of the things. Maybe at some point in the future, it'll be really nice um, when we've been playing a little bit longer to to get you back, and we'll talk about more so that kind of moving to the next stage, a bit of a follow up segment to this. That'd be that'd be really good if that's something you'd be interested in 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 doing. Maybe Jeremy. But um, of but, course. but but thank you so much for coming on and 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 giving your experience over and and giving your time to uh, um, come on the show and talk these things through. It's definitely been useful for for me, and hopefully it's been useful for for some of the listeners as well. So thank you for coming on. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Is there anything yeah, you, you anything you want to shout out before we um, we uh, cut to a break? Have you got any? Uh, do you want to shout out your podcast again? Let people remind people where to find you, etc. Yes, uh, I'm from the Green Dragon podcast. So we find anywhere you find the podcast, there's any podcast uh, app or anything like that, will have us on there. Have a listen. Uh, we we t- go for pretty much the high end stuff. We have a, a mixture of shows, but but go there. But there's also a lot of other people you can listen to as well. And just go go have a chat to the people in your local area and and talk about the game, get involved in the game, and and try different things because that way you can you can learn from that. Fantastic, absolutely. Well, thank you very much again. Um, um, We will be back after this short break. And we're back. Just to close the showdown now, just a few shout-outs and things. So, um, so Sam, have you got uh, anything you wanted to say before we head off to our respective separate beds and uh and own towns and uh worlds <laughs> as if we don't all share one giant Shh. bed together Shh. i said that as a cover there's the halflings in the middle <laughs> <laughs> um, i can't remember what you said um I got, I got distracted by the thought of me being cuddled by you two big burly men um <laughs> the jamming <our> sandwich <laughs> 
So have you got any shout outs or anything you'd like to add? <laughs> <laughs> no shout outs for me. Uh, I'm, I'm actually quite busy this episode. <laughs> awesome. What about yourself, Dan? Uh, as usual, the uh, Legion of Peterborough, uh, boys and girls. Uh, so shout out to them. We are in Peterborough, so if you'd like to join us uh, every other week. So tomorrow the 29th is one of our gaming weeks, and then it's every fortnight. So uh, if you play and you're you're local, then uh, feel free to find us on Facebook or, and then drop on down. Uh, we're a friendly bunch. We usually have a – tomorrow we'll have a sort of a couple of tables for Lord of the Rings, and it's sort of, you know, drop in a bit around Robin Gaming, um, or we can organise specific games. So uh, – by all means, pop down. And it's also occurred to me that third episode, and I do actually have an Instagram. So for any of those that uh, may want to follow me, um, I am at fortunate son of Horus. Um, obviously, started with heresy, as you can tell. So uh, if you do fancy checking out any of the stuff I have or have not been doing, by all means, uh, pop and find me on there. Fantastic. Um, right then, so... There's not a long list of shout outs for people as such. I just wanted to sort of say thank you to um, everyone who's listened to us so far or shared the the podcast or, or liked it and helped us sort of get the get the word out there. Um, we're uh, probably getting a few more downloads than we thought we might be at this stage, which is really nice to see. Um, so thank you, uh, Top Table Gaming, for shouting us out on their stream. Um, I think it was the stream before last. That was really, really good. Um, thank you, Lockie at Zorbazort, for letting me spam on his page and post on there. We've probably posted it in most places by now. Um, and thank you for the people that are contributing to our group as well. This is a quite small group at the moment, but the people that are actually posting in there. I think it's. I think Dan's been posting. Not not you, Dan, but Dan. No. Is it, <laughs> this is why I butcher a surname. My surname S L B, isn't it? Slib something like. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, but um, thanks for sharing your blog in there. Um, it's really it's a great blog, and um, it's nice to see people sort of using our um, group to share that kind of stuff. And the, the the invitation is there for everyone. So if you've got your own blog, your own um, podcast, your own YouTube channels share in our group we don't mind as long as it's lord of the rings related um share away um as i said i think i've said before um as long as it's um lord of the rings related it's fine and um, we have a, a sponsor so incom gaming you've heard the ad for earlier is now officially a sponsor there will be a discount code coming for listeners at some point in the future once um the owner chip has sorted it out so that will be coming but as long as it's not a um an offer on a uh, on, a, on another web store or something which would be advertising against our sponsors um, then please do share anything so um yeah just use the group use and abuse it get get the chat in there if you're not part of the group please join so you like our page that helps us get our uh get the word out there a little bit so we have a page and a group but join the group and get involved in chat post your your hobby post pictures and things up in there if you post in gbhl and, and middle earth rocks and all of those well it's another place that you can you can post your stuff in there and maybe reach a few more people so we'd love to see that grow and the and the chat grow in there as well and it's because it's a smaller group um it'll be a little bit more intimate so it'd be nice to sometimes you get more responses in smaller groups um rather than the minus the sort of mindless scrolling i know that I think I was looking at the um, the settings or something on the GBHL the other day, and it's something like there's like two thousand odd posts a month or something like that. And there. it's just a, a massive amount of traffic. Then, if you only visit once every couple of days and stuff, you're going to miss 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 reams and reams of stuff on there. So, um, yeah, so get involved. Um, so yeah, so like our Facebook page, um, and like and join our group. Follow us on Instagram, and that's at OOTFP Podcast, and Twitter is OOTFP. 
Um, if you want to get in touch um, via email um, and you're not on Facebook, so on Facebook you can click the messages um, link on the page, but if you're not on Facebook, you can email us at ootfppodcast at gmail.com. So please do get in touch. Um, if you have any, 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 well, that's not, that's not English. If you have any ideas of anything you want to hear, hear us talk about on the show, if you have anything to say, any comments on uh, things that we've said, um, get in touch. But um, thanks again for listening. And um, we'll catch you soon, post-Throner Skulls, I believe, and probably with a new shiny book in our hands. Run!